one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center Podcast Feed. I'm Ken Napsok. And I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. And on this episode of our big main show, we are going to revisit one of the most debated films in the Star Wars saga, in the Skywalker saga, and that is Attack of the Clones. This episode, Attack of the Clones, will strike back. Bum, bum, bum. What a fun topic idea, Joseph, because we're going to dive into a movie that, yep, 
I'll tell you what, it ranks low on my list for whatever that's worth. But there's a lot <laughs> there to discuss. Before we do all that and get into the news, I want to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. A little bit later, as always, we'll have our Force Center recommends an audiobook we think you should try out on us. Joseph, how's life? How's your Star Wars adventures? How's all of it? Oh, it's all good and weird and stressful and exciting and everything all at once, right? It is. It's all kind of wrapped together. Uh, We've been, as we're recording, it is uh, Memorial Day and we're coming off uh, the uh, end of this holiday weekend. Which it's kind of great that even in this uh, our strange inside adventure times, it still feels like a holiday weekend. Uh, And the way that we decided to celebrate, partially, my wife and I is we are we really make an event of it when we watch a movie. We don't generally ever have movies just kind of running in the background like I know you do, Ken, and I know that's the way a lot of other uh, friends of mine watch movies. So we've been waiting for like what is the exact right uh, day and time when we're in the right mood to uh, watch Rise of Skywalker at home, which we haven't done yet. And I'm going to open one of my Ray action figures and it's going to be a whole thing. We're like, mm. when are we going to do that? Uh, so my wife, Sarah, was like, well, why don't we watch all of the sequel trilogy films? Saturday, we did Force Awakens. Uh, Sunday, we did Last Jedi. And tonight, after we're done recording, we're going to sit down. We're going to watch The Rise of Skywalker. And it's just been great. Uh, I have seen... Uh, you know, I've seen Force Awakens and Last Jedi a ton of times, uh, but watching them both to lead up to see how I feel it all fits together with Rise of Skywalker, it's it's just been a joy because I, I'm I'm watching the movies and I'm still being like analytical about them and I'm still like going, oh yeah, I should remember that for trivia. Right. But they're also just getting to that point where they feel like the original and the prequel films to me because they're just old friends that I get to visit and I just yeah. get to w- let wash over me. I, I, I love that. And I love that you and Sarah do that. You make the drinks, you take the great shots that I still am waiting for the calendar <laughs> of and at least the coffee table book and, and make something of it. Cause I know what you mean. And this is an interesting discussion point. This is a little off our, our normal uh, life adventures discussion. I have yet to watch rise of Skywalker at home in full, had it on go oh, there. Yeah, there it is. Watch the doc. I've actually watched the doc twice uh, outside of when we reviewed it. I watched it again, just had it on over the course of two days. And I am a background movie guy uh, at times, but I haven't. And I'm waiting, and I'm glad to hear you say that because I was having a, am I a bad Rise of Skywalker <laughs> defender? Am I Am I someone, uh, maybe I don't like it as much because I haven't sat down to watch it. And it, I think I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm connecting with this. So like, I just, I want to be able to take it in again and also let a little bit of time pass from some of my uh, grumpier feelings about some of the discussion around the film. And it's nice to know I have it there and it never goes away. That friend is there. Yeah. Your friend is there anytime that you want to visit. Uh, and, and that's, that's part of what it was is I kind of wanted to just have it breathe and just experience the movie and step away from, I'm going to review it or I'm going to have a conversation with a friend that doesn't like this part. And just, you know, my wife and I have been having such great, uh, fun, uh, just enjoying the move movies, but also like, Hey, uh, do you need another drink? Yeah. Let's pause. And just the way you watch movies at home and then go, wow, that lay a moment really lands with that lay a moment and all that great kind of stuff. And just getting to experience it on every level, but honestly, just truly as just fans Mm -hmm. and not, uh, 
like I said, my, the part of the way that I'm a fan, obviously from the way you and I do this podcast, Ken, is I love analyzing it. So that's a, a yeah. part of it for me. But some of it is just like, ooh, can I see something cool in the corner that I haven't seen before? Or mm-hmm. I just love the way Mark Hamill delivers this line and just all those little things and just celebrating anything I want to about mm-hmm. the movies. Oh, man, that's that's uh, that's, good. that's a good Star Wars and Life Adventure approach right there. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. How about yourself? What are, what are your adventures, uh, both in life and Star Wars, and where they meet? Yeah, I was trying to not make a little noise while you were chatting. Uh, I wanted. I, I I have this bag. You hear that little bag there? Uh, <laughs> I've been doing this big thing. Uh, I, I stumbled into. Uh, was told by my friend to come to his house and get my old storage boxes. <laughs> and I've been talking about it literally on every show I do because it is stretched into different parts of my life. Found some old items. Found a lot of cool things. Some some's going to show up on uh, episodes of Star Wars Show and Tell on our YouTube channel. You all should check that out. We just had Mike Black on. It was great. But I found three uh, sandwich bags full, sealed, so everything's in good condition. They're out of package, but I, th- I found three bags full of uh, Phantom Menace figures. And wow. uh, some of the figures I have in another location because those made their way to the set of Jedi Alliance. Uh, back in 2014, and I brought a bunch of them out there. So these ones, a little bit later on, and they have their chips, but like I said, they're out of package because I displayed them. But they're in great condition because they've been sealed in these bags for (laughs) 12, 13, 14 years at my friend's house. And what I have here right now, uh, this this could one day make make it a show and tell. Uh, We'll we'll bury the lead a little bit here uh, or over there. Um, uh, This is, if you can hear it, Yep, that sound is Yoda in his council chair. <laughs> What's he doing? He, well, he's hopping up and down. Um, got it, got it. Um, I got the chair. I got the, and what I love about the figure now that I have it in my hands after all these years, it's clearly the theatrical puppet Phantom Menace Yoda. The design, <laughs> the fa- and it looks a lot like Stuart Freeborn, which is by design, but you know what I mean? Like, so I have it, and, and I might. I'm going to store the rest of them after I just maybe show them on one of our episodes. But I might keep this. I might keep this chair uh, and Yoda open in my house, just kind of uh, having him guide me through life. Yeah, absolutely. You need a Yoda right by you. Is now is the are these these action figures that you successfully uh, managed to sound like carbon freeze uh, for hibernation <laughs> in uh, plastic sandwich bags? Yeah. Are these ones that you had when you were? Uh, I was going to say a kid. Uh, when well, Phantom Menace came out. Yes. Uh, yeah. These are purchased from that uh, era. They all have their little chips. I don't know if the chips still work, um, but I lo- I'm reading the back of the Yoda one. Name Yoda. Status. <laughs> Jedi Master, comma, <laughs> member of the Jedi Council. Oh. <laughs> and it's got the photo of the uh, of the puppet Yoda version. Yeah, and I and this this pack I have uh, it must be the Jedi Council or Jedi Masters pack because uh in here with them is uh, Mace Windu, and then I got uh uh AD uh, Gallia. Uh and, yeah. her, and her <laughs> Sith lightsaber, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, her red lightsaber, and I believe Mace had a blue one. Yep, yep. You're right. Here it is. Blue one. Didn't see that. It's in the bottom of the bag. Um, so it's been fun, man. I have been, uh, this storage thing has been, um, it's been a trip because it was a little time capsule and, uh, uh, it just takes you back. And also now I, I have a even deeper appreciation for these figures and what they mean, what they represent. Cause over there, I got, I even got, uh, I got this pack. I'm not going to open it up here is the trade federation pack. Um, and oh, oh wow, I didn't even see this when I was talking to you earlier. It's got Captain Tarples and Jar Jar in it. 
This oh, is, nice. This is the Battle, nice. the battle of Naboo Pack. <laughs> is it, in it, is it uh, Jar Jar with a crotch injury action? Uh, I'm going to have to open this up now. I take my own <laughs> words back. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Jar Jar and then Captain Tarples. But that's a good figure. Captain yeah, I mean, Tarples. those are solid figures. Yeah. Uh, use the Booma Jar Jar. Oh, my gosh. Look at this figure. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, so I must have. I, I love, though, that years ago when I was like, well, time to put these up. I divided them by like scene and 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 genre and faction. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's great. I got to pick up that Yoda. I can't. I honestly can't remember. Mine are all in storage. I can't yeah. remember. I must have mm. bought that Yoda. I uh, got to But the it. fact that it is now, as you're pointing out, it is a kind of this strange rarity. The figure yeah. itself isn't actually rare, but the idea of that's an action figure of the puppet in yeah. the puppet. <laughs> Is gone, <laughs> and uh, you know to complete this to complete this conversation, Joseph. The last plastic baggie is Watu, Qui Gon, Little Annie, and Darth Maul with that full. I just got a quick fight in robe. This is the oh yeah Tatooine escape pack. Apparently, <laughs> that is the the fight I'm going to leave my whole robe on for is <laughs> the place with two sons. Yes. That's the. I don't care about Heat Maul. This is uh, one of my uh, ways I live my life. Darth Maul apparently does too. Style knows no weather conditions. You just got to look good. And Maul does. <laughs> so, man, yeah. So it's been quite a nostalgic journey. So thank you for indulging me of my sandwich bag of memories. Anytime. Bring on more sandwich bags. <laughs> From there, we are going to go into news. And, yeah, light news week except for... We're going to start, Joseph, with a bit of a Mandalorian Season 2 spoiler. If you're totally avoiding the news as best you can, you don't want any speculation, any names. Uh, we, we've been really diving into it because that's kind of been the only news headlines for the last couple weeks. We're going to take a quick swing through it here and come back with some of the other news stories. Uh, this is a kind of more of a follow-up to last week's story, Joseph. We were talking about Timothy Oliphant uh, being in Mando Season 2. Uh, at least that's what was coming out. Again, StarWars.com doesn't have all this stuff listed down. They, they're they kind of the final word in some of these confirmations, at least in my mind. But uh, you and I talked. We joked. We said, hey, what could he be? And this is a two-part prediction. You said, well, you know, look at the characters he's played. Yeah, a lot of Western things, but what are those characters? Uh, the troubled lawman trying to keep to his... Uh, his morals, his ideals, and his view of uh, the rule of law, a paraphrase, and of course, of just, you know, Deadwood, the Seth Bullock character, everything. And then I was like, oh, that sounds like Cobb Vanth, and that could be a connection. And yay. And we laughed and we snickered. And then uh, the episode we record on Mondays, we released it Tuesday. But around that time is when it broke that potentially Oliphant will be at least wearing the original Boba Fett armor, which led to rampant speculation. That it's Cobb Vance. So, what do we think? <laughs> Man, it's so uh, absolutely bizarre. The uh, I really want this to be true. I want to see Timothy Oliphant, because he's, he's perfectly cast, as Cobb Vance is written about in uh, in Duendig's Aftermath books, you know, in the, uh, the uh, armor with the light acid damage yeah. <laughs> from the Sarlacc's gut. I'm super, super excited about it as a fan. I am also starting to wonder, um, you know, how much more information is going to come out that is going to get us, 
get us to that point where we have too much information, mm-hmm. either from wanting to go into spoiler-free or like you and I have talked about a lot, get to that point where you start making up the stories in your head. Because, mm-hmm. well, if this character's there and that character's there and this actor's playing this, you, you start to build up expectations. And it was so great to go into the first season of Mandalorian with such an open mind and so free of expectation. Yeah, it is getting a little weird, and, and some of these things, uh, you know, we choose to cover them here in Force Center. We There's been times in the past we've, we've texted each other or sent an email, let's, let's not talk about this one. We don't want to go down that path. And, hey, it is what it is, and some of these aren't super surprising. But, yeah, I, I, I don't want my joy to be taken away, the the expectations. But that aside, I, I'll, I'll roll up the sleeves here and have a little fun with this. I, I really hope it's Cobb Vanth. I hope it's something. Even if it's just an episode, 10 minutes, a backstory, a flashback. I don't care. I love, I love Cobb Vanth. I really do. I love Wendig's interludes. They're they're fun. They're some of them a little quirky, but a lot of them are really deep. And there's just something I've always liked about the Cobb Vanth interludes in the in the aftermath series. And it, I'm comforted that uh, if this if they go this direction, Joseph, if 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 that they're they're paying attention to those books and connecting to them in just a bare bones fact and canon type of way, which you and I talk about the emotional canon themes and all those kind of things. Those are the connections we enjoy. There's just something I just really like about that idea, particularly this series, which at times was maligned. Yeah, yeah. And and again, I think we've all, we've got our big awooga for spoilers, but also yep. spoilers for Aftermath itself, if you don't want to know, tune out for a second. Uh, but I think the story of Cobb Vanth in those interludes really matches up with the picture of the galaxy that the Mandalorian is portraying, that a part of the reason he wants to put on that armor and he needs that, that extra oomph to be a lawman and to protect everyone is because there's a vacuum of power mm. now that Jabba is gone. And that connects directly to Phantom Menace. We're like, well, yeah, it's it's mm. it's going to be safe from the Trade Federation because it's run by the Huts. And yeah. that story of what happens when people who are evil, people who are hurting other people are overthrown, but there's a vacuum. Yeah. And you know, the, not all the systems can get in place in time. And that's Cobb Vant's story, which really, really lines up well with the spirit of the galaxy in The Mandalorian right now. Yeah, it, it, what you're saying just it gets me even more excited because this isn't just a, when you hear, oh, these things don't coll- connect to the lore or they're, they don't matter, these books don't matter to the movies. They all do, but it's the big, going again to the emotional canon and the big themes, and they're going to pick what works. So again, a big if... A big if we don't know, but this is a um, this was a, I forget the exact original source. I apologize. Don't want to not credit anybody, but uh, it's one of those movie trade sites. This isn't some we got this not covered website. This is something pretty good. So we'll run with it for a little bit, Joseph, and potentially I'm gonna temper my expectations, but potentially I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Let me run. Uh, I know we got a couple of questions no, about this, so let me run uh, run more uh, uh, more about the behind the scenes of the business type question uh, yep. or theory at you. Uh, this is the Mandalorian and Lucasfilm. They are the people who famously hid a baby Yoda from mm-hmm. the entire world. I kind of feel like these leaks are um, desired. Yeah. That right now with the state of the world. Disney Plus is one of the things that's great for business, and they want to keep people extremely excited about uh, The Mandalorian. Yes, and when you've got the seventh and and final season of Clone Wars airing, and it's stirring up conversation, most of it, large percentage, but very positive, obviously. Um, 
why not? If you got some of this stuff, why not kind of connect it? Like, oh, you like that? Uh, you like that Bo-Katan character? Huh? What do you think about this? Yes. Uh, not to get too uh, Woodward and Bernstein and deep throat about <laughs> it, but yeah, the, I, I absolutely believe a lot of these uh, leaks. It's part of the relationship they have with some of these uh, trade papers and everything, and it's been long. I mean, just watch uh, some film noir movie about a studio trying to bury their the besmirch their lead performer or something. You know, they use the press for this kind of stuff. Um, not always, not always. Sometimes it is a a uh, a guy hiding in a parking structure taking pictures. Yep, that's that is what it is. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. If they could keep the child, which again means crew members, uh, the, the catering people, PAs, everyone kept that thing secret. <laughs> Weird castings, and again, this this show has pretty much been shot already. Second season, yeah. You're, you're right. I'm with you on that. Conspiracy theories. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. And also, great plug for Hail Caesar, starring Alden Ehrenreich, a great Coen Brothers movie about uh, studios keeping things under that's, control. That's right. That's right. Hey, make Solo 2 happen. Uh, that was uh, trending yesterday, and we're uh, we're for that as well, as we talked about on the show yesterday on the Mandalorian Report. All right, now on to the other news stories of the week. And this one, hey, it's sad. It's sad, but let's celebrate a, a legacy that is definitely mentioned, definitely talked about, but it's it's actually in a weird way nice to focus on his accomplishments. Charles Lippincott, you can call him Charlie. He <laughs> passed away this past week, and Charlie Lippincott was uh, part of the building blocks of Star Wars as we know it. He helped usher in a new approach to marketing big films. He brought this grassroots style convention approach. George Lucas, Joseph called him a founding pillar of the Star Wars films and phenomenon. This was a statement this week following the death. It's not some old interview. That's something that he released this week. Mark Hamill also said, uh, you know, who accompanied Lippincott in many appearances in 1976 before the film came out, called him brilliant at what he did. And he went on to a great career, even produced some stuff as well in the film industry. But he he, he really changed the game, uh, taking Star Wars to the people, Joseph. Uh, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on his, his legacy of promotion, fan relations, and, and licensing too? And, uh, you know, every time you have a Star Wars Pez dispenser, He's kind of indirectly responsible for all of it. Yeah, I mean, he's responsible for like half the things in my home then uh, if we're talking licensing. Yeah, I'm really happy that uh, there's a lot of discussion celebrating so many different people who contributed to making Star Wars what it uh, what it is and what it was when it came out in 1977. There was that uh, great article a couple of months back about Ashley Boone Jr., who was one of the marketing execs at, at Fox, who was really really saw a vision that Star Wars could make a ton of money and it was really smart about programming it in May. Uh, and that kind of, to me, goes right along with what's being celebrated about uh, Charlie Lippincott, that they realized, the you know, the vision to say, oh, what's being made is special, but if we don't get it to the right people in the right way, it won't land. And to me, what's, what's really celebratory about this is uh, it's really about Lippincott in particular's approach of going to conventions and doing mm. licensing is all about getting past the uh, gatekeeping of reviewers who maybe might not like it or might not get it and getting to the fans. Yeah. So much now is about fans. Uh, and I think we're a little bit more used to it of certain movies can just be ripped to shreds by critics. And if you have enough fans, 
doesn't matter to the box office and might matter to the Academy Awards or to our feelings. (laughs) But I think this was such a beginning of there are people who love this, but they might not actually have a voice unless we get it to them. Mm. Especially back then. Uh, Yeah, we I we. I, we positive have positive uh, uh, feelings. Uh, at least I do when I and I know you do too. When you look at the old pictures of Charlie Lippincott at San Diego Comic Con in '76, and there's like a card table and 30 people, we can joke about <laughs> it. And kind of, wow, imagine that. But yeah, imagine that. Imagine him. He's got this, uh, and he's they, they put together that book. Uh, you know, again, Empire Dreams. I, we, this comes up a lot. It's a great doc. You got the stuff with Alan Ladd Jr. saying, uh, you know, we put together this book, a promotional booklet, which I, I, I remember checking out from my school library. Actually, they had it there. Wow. Um, yeah, it was great. And just lists all the characters and everything. And and uh, theater, you know, the, the theater chain managers and everything. And, you know, the distribution game, they were kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what is this? Uh, for Lippincott to be like, I know where this is going to be appreciated. And let's try to get this word out. And clearly it worked. Clearly, opening uh, the opening day lines around the corner at Man's Chinese Theater and all those photos you see uh, can be pretty much directly tied to that kind of approach of, like you said, Joseph, let's get it get it out to the people. Yeah, yeah. And then programming it in May uh, so that kids could go back to school and say, oh, my Lord, this weird space movie is so awesome. Yeah. Uh, all And, you know, we just... That May release date, now I've seen December is really associated with Star Wars and you know the discussion of when Solo came out and everything, blah, blah, blah. But for, for May, May was May was Star Wars, right? For all of our youth and into the prequels, uh, that was it. And it seems so simple, but that was revolutionary at the time too for uh, the whole team. And I love this. I love to look, uh, without, there's, without a doubt, there's always going to be some you know, real life stuff around Lucas and, you know, he and Gary Kurtz maybe had a following, uh, falling out and you can go down those paths if you want, but I'll say this about George. I, I have never seen him fail to give credit to a lot of other people when it comes up. I think of John Williams saying, you know, the celebration 2017, he's the secret sauce. He's why it worked. This stuff about Lippincott, like this was a founding pillar of the phenomenon of Star Wars, believe me, George understands the importance of that. I, I, I do kind of like that idea of just George saying when, saying when it matters. Yeah, absolutely. To say g- going to San Diego Comic Con and telling people who like you know the Hobbit and Star Trek, hey, something something new is coming and that should be celebrated. It was a bold and important move. It was indeed. Rest in peace, Charles Lippincott. Thank you for everything you did. Second story this week. Uh, little interview came out of uh, Collider, uh, Collider.com. They're doing uh, these sit-down connected uh, remote interviews, and they sat down with Ronald D. Moore, who's quite a career man. You know, we think about it. Ronald D. Moore has had his hands in a lot of things we geek and sci-fi and nerd folk love. I love uh, Battlestar Galactica reboot, his work on Star Trek. First Contact is one of my favorite uh, Star Trek uh, properties, movies, whatever you want to say. He's got uh, that, and he had his hands in Star Wars, as we know. Uh, He was asked about the Star Wars Underworld live-action series that was in development some years ago. And more confirmed, uh, a lot of what was has been known, but there were, uh, he said, 40, then he goes, 48 scripts, a very specific number. 48 mm. scripts were completed by uh, himself and a collection of, quote, international writers that George brought everyone in. They had these meetings every few weeks, uh, and he wanted, and they turn in scripts, and they get notes from George. 
George wanted all the scripts written before production began so that no budget constraints would affect them, which is, uh, uh, that's, that's, I, I really like that idea. Just like, don't worry, don't worry about it. We'll figure that out later. You tell the story you want to tell. Uh, and then uh, Ronald D. Moore talked about back then, uh, George talked about uh, needing the tech to do this series uh, and said CGI and virtual sets. Wow. <laughs> Where have we seen that recently? What episode did we discuss just yesterday? Uh, things we know now about the timeline. Again, we had a lot of some of the stuff was stuff we knew, but it's nice to hear it confirmed or at least uh, mentioned recently. Star Wars Underworld was between episode three and four, had film noir elements, and was one giant story built by connecting storylines and threads. That was also part of the 48 scripts. So uh, all that information there, what do, you, what do you take from that? And then we'll get into some discussions of uh, maybe what could happen, Joseph. Yeah, man, there's a lot of juicy, fun stuff there. Uh, Ronald D. Moore does uh, uh, feel like he is cut from a similar cloth of Lucas when you think about Battlestar Galactica coming out of his frustrations with Star Trek, uh, some of his Star Trek writing, which which I love, but some of his Star Trek, like you won't, you won't get into the real details and the infighting over resources and you won't you won't do some of this stuff uh okay i'll go do it <laughs> so the, there's a real connection to lucas there uh my wife and i also watch outlander which which he uh, got off the ground and then uh, that's right yeah yes uh he didn't create it obviously it's uh, based on books uh so yeah i love ronald d moore and this is great uh to hear him discuss this really intrigued by this idea of that it was one big story that there were episodic just individual adventures, but that the whole series was telling one story and man, that thing of Lucas saying, maybe we'll be able to do it technically, maybe not, but don't worry about it right now. Writers is fascinating. Do you, you know, I always get this, uh, you know, I always get this way when like, a Star Wars show or movie is being filmed. Like right now they're in production on rise of Skywalker. I'll get like really nerd excited where I just sit in a daydream even now, even now and go, wow, there's new Star Wars out there. <laughs> but it is knowing that these and we've known, you know, remember Rick McCallum said this too. Ah, we got about 50 scripts sitting around knowing that that's out there. Uh, much like, say, George's versions of the sequel trilogies, and that can be spun off into different kind of controversial YouTube videos. But just as a fan, do you do you just want to peek? Do you just want to <laughs> give me 10 pages to see what George was cooking up? Yeah, I mean, I really do because I, I love all of the Disney era storytelling. And I'm so fascinated to see if the big picture story that he's telling, what kind of story is it? Does it is it something that really impacts uh, the galaxy as we understand it? Or is it something that's like, well, yeah, it, it could still exist with the modern canon. Uh, I'm really fascinated to see what kind of story. And also, you know, we discuss a lot various uh, ideas of what maybe Lucas is thinking and feeling based on what he's saying in Star Wars. I'm also really interested at that point in his career and at that point in his um, politics, honestly, what is it that he wanted to say? Because he always has something to say through Star Wars is right. as well as having fun with the zip and the zoom and the laser swords. He always does have a perspective. Uh, so I'm, I'm really curious about all that stuff. And how that relates to Star Wars Underworld is really intriguing to me, Joseph, what you're saying there. Yeah, what does George want to say about that? Because it wouldn't just be cool bounty hunters doing cool things. There would be some point there. And I think about a lot of stuff we saw in Clone Wars Season 7. And, and I wonder how much would line up. So we have 
talked about this before. We literally have talked about this before, but uh, in light of what we've seen with the making of Mando and the technology, George on set, uh, you know, whether he's visiting his son at work or just to, to enjoy a cup of coffee or scouting things out, you know, you can run with that all the way you want. And also this other question, you know, what did Disney buy? What's all on the plate? Do they have these 48 scripts sitting somewhere, Iger's desk or whatever? Who owns what? That's a key question. Um, could this, would this, do you want this ever to happen? Star Wars Underworld shot now. I would like a different version of the show uh, shot now, a different imagining of it so it all lines up with the storytelling because I suspect, uh, and I think there's been discussed elsewhere, that elements of Underworld ended up in the Clone Wars. And I think some things, you know, who knows how much Filoni was... Uh, pulling thematic ideas like you're saying for season seven of Clone Wars with uh, Trace and Rafa uh, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and really seeing that perspective of the underworld. Honestly, Solo, the movie Solo is dealing with a little bit of these kind of like, yep. how do you how do you get by when there's a totally uh, tyrannical government making it impossible for you to kind of do the basics of survival and personal freedom? So I feel like maybe we've seen these stories what what makes me break out nerd chills is would they ever just publish the scripts so we could just read them because i think that the actual scripts um mm. i think they've either either wouldn't marry well with modern canon or have had a lot of elements borrowed so i would i don't i'm not personally like super excited about seeing them filmed but i would love to read them yeah i think that that's a great answer you'd have to do some tweakings and then you know would George want? And then, who? yeah, there's a lot of a lot of business red tape that he'd have to be cross. Uh, but yeah, just um, just seeing him, I don't know. Kind of, it reminds me a little bit like when Dark Horse did uh, that comic series, The Star Wars, based on George's kind of original drafts. And it's pretty wild and it's pretty fantastic. So I don't know, uh, a, a non-canon comic. But yeah, uh, you know, unfortunately, I know it would probably lead to some uh, discussions that uh, we wouldn't want to uh, be part of or enjoy. And, and, and everyone's always going to spin that off. And you can't live your Star Wars fandom life like that, worried about what the naysayers might do. But uh, I, I would love to see George's vision. And again, I'm, I'm excited about what you described, Joseph. Like, what was George trying to say? Yeah. So that is a, a look at the headlines making the Star Wars world go round, I'm sure. Something else will happen today. Should we make a wild prediction? Here's my prediction, Joseph. Uh, at the time of this main show release, it will be revealed that George Lucas is directing all of season three of Mandalorian. <laughs> That's right. Uh, he is actually going to be the director of photography for Taika Waititi's <laughs> film. I like that one there. Will Talk about it next week. Before we uh, take a quick break and, and get on to the Attack of the Clones striking back, we're going to do a Force Center Recommends, an audiobook we think you should try out on us. That's right, and I always try to come up with ones that have a little bit of a relationship to our main topic. And so this week I picked Queen's Shadow by E.K. Johnston. This is telling the story of Padme transitioning from being the Queen of Naboo to the Senator of Naboo. And I think there's some great emotional canon in this book that you can take right in into Attack of the Clones and what Padme's thinking about, and it just makes it extra, extra rich. Yeah, it's on my re reread and reread quick list because I, I I think it really has some um, 
Real good insight to add to the Star Wars story, particularly Attack Clones, like you said. To download that book or another one, you, you can do that today by getting your free audio book at audibletrial.com slash force center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash force center for your free audio book. We're going to take a quick break, reset, and on the other side, we're going back to Attack of the Clones. Stick around for more Force Center. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thank you. 
A4Center fans, don't forget, 4Center is on YouTube. Head over there to catch up with our new show, Star Wars Show and Tell. Joseph, Jennifer, Ken, and special guests sit down and share favorite items from their own Star Wars memorabilia collections. Plus, there's the In Memoriam video series, encore presentations of Databank Brawl, and special programming all there for you and more shows on the way. It's 4Center on YouTube. Check it out. Welcome back to Force Center, the big show, the main show, the superstar destroyer of our fleet, the big floating ball of our Trade Federation team. Uh, We are going to be looking at Attack of the Clones, Joseph. We are coming up on this. It's a little while. Time's time's moving fast, but we're going to get there soon. Coming up on 20 years of Attack of the Clones, so we're diving in now, and I'm sure we'll do it again then. Um, but uh, we did our big look at Empire last week, and it uh, it just seems right to take a look at the Attack of the Clones now. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's just a lot of bubbling up of Attack of the Clones discussion in various uh, responses and uh, tweets that we get and that, so I was eager to rediscuss it. You know, I think in these inside times, anything that can be ranked will be ranked by the internet, so there, I think we've seen like three rounds of... <laughs> what's the best star wars film and that's one of the things that made me eager to talk with you about attack the clones because like you said last week we talked about empire strikes back um and attack the clones has a lot of thematic plot aesthetic uh poetry with empire strikes back but empire is usually considered one of the best often very high if not number one on people's lists and attack the clones is often at the bottom of people's lists So that's where I want to start with full acknowledgement that many fans love it, myself included, as will become obvious as we talk about it. Ken, why do you think it's at the bottom of many people's lists of favorite Star Wars film? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I'm one of one of those folks, though, I don't really like listing Star Wars films, just put them all on the uh, in the sandbox and let me play with them. But I think maybe this is a while there. It just has. It actually contained most of the, quote, things that Star Wars fans don't like about the prequels. It, it had maybe the worst collection of them. Uh, visual effects that don't necessarily hold up or weren't quite there yet. We talk about technology continuing to grow and getting better. And they were where they were at the time when this movie was made. I think you hear complaints about ah the acting in the prequels wasn't as good and George will sit here even particularly on this movie and tell you well there's a 1930 style performance of dialogue and that's fair and I don't disagree with him there but I think there's a lot more stiff acting here particularly like I'll tell you what, Phantom Menace it, 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 it and it's got some quote stiff acting moments but it, it, it jumps it's a little more vibrant at times than I think some of the bigger scenes here in Attack of the Clones uh, I do kind of believe a bit of a lack of uh, chemistry or a weird chemistry at times with Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen that does kind of, for me, go through some of the scenes, but not all of them, not all of them, quite frankly. Uh, and then I think you hear uh, the humor, George, George put some bad humor in those prequels. I think a lot of them, you think Phantom Menace and Jar Jar, but I think a lot of it actually comes from Attack of the Clones. Really? Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I can see that argument uh, with the 3PO stuff. And, yeah, we'll yeah. definitely dig into the humor a little bit. Uh, I think that's a great uh, list of some of the reasons that people might be a little bit more resistant to Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones is the film that made me say, I don't, I, I get that ranking is fun. Obviously, we have a show called Star Wars Ranked, and, and, and you uh, lead that, and you lead that with a spirit of, we're going to list uh, things that we love and, and why we list them. They're not that, like... They don't come from that objective stance of like, this one is the best and this one is the worst and my opinion is correct, right? So uh, I, I sometimes kind of joke about ranking and I never mean that towards Star Wars uh, ranked, which I love to do. Um, but Attack of the Clones, I think, really made me feel like, I think maybe even for funsies, I don't, I'm not interested in ranking the Star Wars films because I feel like Attack of the Clones, in my opinion, had some of the, uh, the, the most challenging uh, filmmaking of things like some of the CGI feeling a little cold and in, in taking you out of the movie, uh, some of the acting being uh, feeling like uh, that it would have been stronger if George really engaged with the actors more, some of those kind of like filmmaking things. Right. But then at the same time, I absolutely adore this movie. And it is one that I sometimes have the instinct to just like, it's Tuesday and I don't want to do my work. What do I want to watch? I want to watch Attack of the Clones. Like, mm. so on one hand, I feel like I have critiques that it is probably in some ways has the most sort of filmmaking flaws. And yet, right. on the other hand, I absolutely love it and feel a great pull to watch it. So to me, like, well, where do you, where do you rank that? Of like, yeah, I agree that there's these problems. And yet, in some days, it's my number one pick to watch. Um, and I think some of that comes from that the the problems with the film, once I get used to them, are either just kind of fascinating to me because I think about where they come from, or I just don't see them anymore and I just don't care. I just accept that they're there. Um, but but to the, the question that I posed, I'll answer my own question uh, <laughs> about why it ranks uh, low. I think it is, I agree with you, some of the CGI. I agree with you that uh, the romance is really you have to make a decision about exactly how you want to approach it. And obviously seeing it at different ages of life, mm -hmm. different dating experiences, people are going to bring a lot of different uh, points of view to it. We're going to discuss the romance more, but one that I think isn't discussed as much. This film, I think is one that benefits from being watched by someone who is pretty obsessive about star Wars, who is pretty all in on star Wars. It is, just full of lore. And I think that's one of the joys of it is in some ways it is the most star Wars of star Wars. Cause it is giving you all these answers about where the clones came from, how the clone Wars started, whose Padawan is who, what are the actual rules of the Jedi temple? And, Oh, do you really like the, uh, action serial mashup, lots of genres part of star Wars where here, here's a noir detective, uh, adventure. Here's in arena fight. That's kind of like a gladiator thing. It's, it is so star Wars. Like, you know, when people can watch empire strikes back and, say like, Ooh, this is a movie about, uh, identity and, and family and learning important life lessons and attack the clones. We're going to talk about themes. You can do that, but on its surface, it's just a out there weird pulp adventure. It is so just pure undiluted star Wars that I wonder if there's people who like, yeah, I like star Wars. I watch them every once in a while that attack the clones. There's even more like, how do I find my way into this? Because unless you super care about 
the Jedi Order, maybe you don't have as much of a way in. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if there's a, a lot in Attack of the Clones, not specific, but what you're talking about, the spirit of it, that connects to, say, even just the cantina in A New Hope and what George's vision for that was in the world and the watering hole of all these characters and adventures. And, you know, you can look at that and go, yeah, there's a bar. And then you can look at Dexter's Diner and be like, no, I reject that, which was part of my change. And, I, and I'm not, I tease, you know, our friends Alex and Steve over at uh, Black Series Rebels. Uh, they always joke about Dexter and I'll joke with them. Dexter's an interesting character. He's a, it's a 50s diner. It is what it is. And uh, George, the, <laughs> the maker of American Graffiti, with 50s and 60s kind of uh, uh, diner culture. I mean, why wouldn't he want to put that in Star Wars number one? Um, but yeah, I, I, I like what you're saying about it does. It's, it's George going, here's what I always envisioned this to be. And there's some, something I like about that now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, you, you talked about your reaction in the past. Let's go back to the beginning, uh, 2002. What was your reaction to the film when it first came out? Did you like it more than the Phantom Menace? Less? Where were you at? I, I, I'll tell you what, um, I, I, I've told that story of waiting in line, had the tickets, but were waiting in line to see it because you didn't have reserved seating back then. And I was uh, joking with my friend Paul going, ah, Jedi's are the jerks of the galaxy. Obi-Wan's the guy. He's a drunk. He was just joking. And then we go in and, you know, the outlander club, <laughs> and I literally am looking at it. I'm like, but what that shows me is, is, I was probably maybe more in tune and that's a big joke. I'm joking about that, but I was more in tune to what George might've been trying to say about the Jedi order at this point in their existence than I knew, which is interesting because I did come out of this movie, uh, the first viewing uh, with a level of disappointment that the style of the Phantom Menace didn't change and that this wasn't suddenly the uh, original trilogy, if that makes sense. Yeah. That, suddenly he didn't go back to uh, shooting this in the Redwood forest, <laughs> you know, that I was like, no, nah, I didn't, you know, I wanted to be more of that. And, and that, and that's kind of, it's just silliness on my part. Uh, but because, um, oh, and I, you know, and I laughed at uh, Joe Costa knew, uh, you know, there's a Jedi librarian and, and Dexter's diner. I did laugh at that kind of stuff, which is so surface level, but here's the thing. I came out of it, walked back to my car and I was daydreaming about the battle of geonosis already hmm. daydreaming about like oh man that takes me back right paul like that takes me back to the playground like i just want to go reenact that with my figures or my friends at recess which just showed i connected to something there and i always talk about the sounds i can't do an attack of the clones episode would not talk about them seismic charges but that's not <laughs> the only one there's i just re-watching it this weekend there's so many amazing sounds jumping ahead uh, a little bit to how I changed. I don't want to step on that question, but just like I'll, I'll sometimes just put in attack the clones to watch Padme's ship approach uh Coruscant in the opening sequence. Right. And it's beautiful. And it sounds beautiful. Oh, beautiful. Looks beautiful. Sounds beautiful. And the sounds amazing. That was all there. I chose to ignore a lot of that again, not there's we, we can address the problems we're both aware of, or choices that were made that we don't like, or those are always there. I get, I grow tired even now in 2020 uh, of having conversations with people outside of podcasts, which you should all do at some point. Um, <laughs> and um, the prequels comes up, and they're just uh, they'll the one. Uh, oh, you can't really like those. Yeah, yeah, I can. 
And here's why, but also, yes, here's the reasons that, you know, I get the big far point of view, uh, dislike of the prequels. I get that, but here's what's here for me to like. I get tired of having those conversations still. This is why I love having these conversations about what was already there in my heart. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. And you're you're uh, wanting to go to the playground of geonosis in your mind immediately is is a beautiful memory. Uh, this is so fascinating. Uh, I wish that I could time travel to the uh, alternate universe uh, where you and I already knew each other and we're going to these movies together <laughs> back in the day and having these debates and seeing uh, how much we'd be on the same page or different because uh, we're so often on the same page uh, now as fans. Mm-hmm. I, I was so blown away like um, when I saw the film. It was to me like, of course, obviously this great step forward from the Phantom Menace, because the things I didn't like in the Phantom Menace at the time were things we've discussed ad nauseum, Jar Jar in being too wacky, stepping in poo, the stuff that's a little bit too real world, like, you know, the the pod racer announcers, uh, all that kind of stuff. And I felt like there wasn't anywhere near as much of that. There wasn't as much Jar Jar. You had the 3PO humor, but OK, but it was balanced out by a lot of, frankly, like deeper and darker stuff. And some of the stuff that um, that you struggled with, I love Dex- Dexter's Diner. I was like, okay, it's two fi- 250s. But from the first viewing, I was like, that's what Obi-Wan does when mm-hmm. he's not being a Jedi. He's hanging out with this weird guy in his diner. That's awesome. That's a peek into his life. And seeing more of the Jedi Temple, seeing the archives and seeing how it functioned, it's like, oh man, I was just so blown away by uh, the just sheer volume of lore um, I struggled with the romance. I immediately turned around and did uh, comedy sketches at conventions, uh, poking fun at uh, Anakin's uh, attempts to woo involving uh, sand, hatred, and slaughter. And we'll talk about the romance and all that. So I struggled with the romance. But beyond that, I was just obsessed and loved it. And it was so all in. Um, one of the things in particular that I wonder if people of different generations have different perspectives, because... Some of what's in Attack of the Clones, particularly because of the Clone Wars animated series, has gone on to be like, well, yeah, of course, that's the lore of Star Wars. But mm. for for people who were not of the age, I just want them to imagine going into a theater in 2002. And I made a quick list. These are some just some of the things that were introduced by Attack of the Clones. How the Clone Wars started, who or what the clones were. The idea that Palpatine is mentoring Anakin and whispering in his ear. You find out that Obi-Wan distrusts politicians. You get this great chain of Padawans from Yoda to Dooku to Qui-Gon to Obi-Wan. Hey, it's Boba Fett's origin story. Hey, Owen and Beru's history and past, the existence of the Jedi Archives. The idea that the Jedi are forbidden uh, attachment and possession. The word youngling. Yoda is now a kick-ass fighter with a lightsaber. The introduction of Dooku, seeing Bail Organa on screen just kind of endless if you had spent years imagining star wars even to me even more than phantom menace here's this just treasure trove of answers and ideas and that i think more than anything is why i was even with the criticisms that i have to this day immediately all in on attack of the clones well what what you're saying there too is also to me describing a, a long list of reasons that people would would reject this back then because this phenomenon we always talk about of when you finally get answers and when you finally get answers that are the creators, the content creators go and, you know, hey, here's you wanted to know Boba Fett from Return of the Jedi. Here's how he began. If you don't like that or you're not open to it, you're going to fight it. And 
that happens a lot in a lot of other things. Doesn't mean these things aren't above criticism, but you know, I always go to the, the example of the wall coming down in Game of Thrones. People predicted that for six years. It finally happens. Eh, it wasn't how I imagined it. And, <laughs> and I think everything you just said, I, you're, the amount of answers that George gave you is impressive. And you're right. That's way different than the Phantom Menace. Way different. It's given you con. Remember the Clone Wars you first heard about in A New Hope? And maybe for some of you in the 70s, <laughs> you're getting that answer. And if you aren't open to it and don't, as you say, engage with the story presented to you, you're going you're gonna to push back against it. It's just human nature. Uh, and and I, so I love the, all the things you're saying are, are powerful reasons to, to enjoy this film or dive in. Back in there, we're talking about our initial experiences in 2002 for you and me, others, different time periods, of course. I think that's a lot of it, too. I think that's big. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. And back in the day, like I had a ton of friends who were like already down on the Phantom Menace and then went to see Attack the Clones. I was like, ah, it's more the same. And I didn't need to see Boba Fett's a mysterious badass. I didn't need to see him as a kid. I I definitely had those friends. And like I said, I went and I made my jokes mostly about the romance. But then I was just in Star Wars nerd heaven in my mind all summer because it gave me so many answers but also mysteries uh, because it wasn't just the whole story. It was what's going to happen next. And what does that mean about Boba Fett and that great shot of him with his father's helmet? And before I knew the shadow answer of why, why didn't his dad's head fall out? All that kind of great uh, stuff to, uh, to reminisce and just think about Uh, you, you touched on this next question, but let's dive all the way into it about how and when and why your reaction has changed. Mm. Um, It was, uh, I talk about wanting to watch the opening sequence. I talk about the Battle of Geonosis. And it was this time, I've joked about it, but before, prior to meeting you and, and, and feeling, though, yeah, there's some YouTube videos that are proven, proven that these are uh, bad. Oh, there's a phone call coming in, everybody. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, that's what happens when technology is so tied into everything. Um, the, the idea that, uh, uh, you know, that uh, um, back in 2002, t- taking this all in, of just like, me being a secret fan of the prequels and feeling like some YouTube videos are telling me that, yep, these suck. So I must follow that path and, and stopping on the surface and then being in my room, pulling out a DVD and literally going, I'm not going to tell anybody, but today I want to see those seismic charges go off today. I want to see the battle of Geonosis today. I want to watch Padme's ship approach Coruscant and realizing, Oh, what's happening is is this is giving me things in Star Wars I love. <laughs> and and going, okay, now I have to revisit this. Then, uh, you know, it's uh, now I focus on themes uh, and, and what George was saying, and that has opened up a, a path to a more fulfilling experience. Uh, you talk about uh, questions. This movie really brings some big, deep questions and bigger thoughts to the entire saga, some of them uh, including but not limited to who do you trust? Uh, how are the Jedi dealing with the loss of force connection? What? For for Mace Windu just to be like, look, Yoda, we know. <laughs> we know we're not feeling things. It's time to let the world know. No, we can't do that. That's going to create more enemies. What a great big philosophical question. Um, and uh, the, the the Anakin, the, uh, the fall of Anakin, the Anakin. Uh, and we're, ta- we're going to talk more about love. So I'm going to put a pin in that there. I watch all the scenes now with him and Padway, Padme with a different eye. Because it's about how much Anakin misinterpreted attachment as love and love as attachment and how that affects him. And it's fascinating stuff to me. And also, 
I won a Disney Plus series about Dex's Diner. So everything's <laughs> changed, Joseph. Everything's changed. That's right. I mean, I would be happy with just a sort of a domestic drama. This is us. That's all just set on the Lars homestead during the happy days. Uh, <laughs> the Shmi and Klieg and, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. Owen and his girlfriend, Baru. That that would be great. Uh, yeah, and I, sh- I should have put that in my big list of lore of what happens to Shmi. It's, it, anyway, um, yeah, I think even though I have always been more excited about it, I think I've also always been more on board with yeah, it is definitely the one with the the most awkward CGI, the most awkward acting. And I think um, I think I've come to appreciate it even more because of our discussions, uh, because of being sort of uh, totally out and loud and proud about loving the prequels in Attack of the Clones, uh, really diving into the themes, which we're going to do in a minute. Uh, the stakes, what's really at stakes, stake in the movie, I think, has uh, really increased my respect for it of... The idea of just, we'll discuss it as themes, but it's it's the plot. The plot of the movie starts with the heroes trying to say, we can't raise an army. That's not a way to be. That's not how our government should work. The fact that that's the story from the beginning is is made me respect this even more. Uh, mm. But I think the biggest thing for me that has changed is trying to have a different point of view on the romance. Because back in the day, I think a lot of fans who had grown up with the original trilogy had this push and pull of, well, we, we want it to be new and not just repeat beats or lines or scenes from the original trilogy, but we're also kind of, we're taking the original trilogy as that what's, that's what Star Wars is. So I think people expected this very uh, Han and Leia romance. And I think I always interpreted like, oh, that's kind of what we're going for with Anakin and Padme. And now that I just kind of let that go and just say, for better, for worse, for whatever, this is the story of in incredibly confused young man from Anakin's perspective and from Padme's perspective it's the the character of somebody who uh really focuses on her responsibilities she is a little bit kind of older and and much wiser and doesn't want to allow herself to 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 love him Mm -hmm. and if you look at it from that perspective everything starts to things I used to make fun of start to um become richer and more interesting. Even if you can still make fun of them, if you want to, um, Mm -hmm. they did just start becoming much more um, purposeful and not something that like, I have to figure out a way to like it, but to just say, that's what the story is. And I'm just going to engage with it the way it is. Ooh, I'm, uh, I had to mute my mic. I was actually clapping. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> you're hitting on things I want to discuss a little bit later in the romance section of the discussion, but yeah, the, this idea too, there's a lot in this movie and, 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 and I was focused, you know, focusing on this weekend because, you know, before we even get the show notes, it's like, all right, we, I got to, let me refresh my, my mind. It just, things were just like really hitting me on Anakin and Padme and a lot of things that back then, and look, I'll, I'll make a sand joke all day. I mean, it's exhaustive by this point. It's exhausting to keep hearing the jokes, but I'll make them, you know, and I'll made them. And there's some moments. Uh, I actually like that record scratch moment. <laughs> I actually like that. Um, the music but, fading out and him looking so confused about what yeah. just happened. But there's there's bad things and mistakes and things he's doing wrong there. And I'm like, yeah, sometimes that gets attacked. But that's the point to me. That's the point of the story. And that's why I like it now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah, that's not uh, yeah a weird take. That, that's the choice. 
Um, all right. So, yeah, let's dive into some of the big picture themes and we will talk all about uh, comedy and romance and all sorts of stuff as well. So last week we did this. We looked at some of the themes of Empire Strikes Back. I think there are some similar themes in Attack the Clones, but I think the plot is very different in dealing with some different things. So different themes uh, merge as well. Uh, a couple of specific themes that we're going to talk through is similar to Empire, uh, this idea of kind of mysterious identity of not knowing exactly who you are, what you want, and in particular, not knowing exactly who you're dealing with. Uh, There is a big theme of war versus pacifism. That's just explicitly the plot. But then within that, a lot of the Jedi lore of when do you attack versus when you defend and which is which. Uh, Watching it again, I I was really entranced by this idea of knowledge versus wisdom. And then finally, we're also going to touch a little bit on just how overtly political uh, to the galaxy far, far away this movie is. So uh, we are going to dive in with this first theme. Uh, I wrote some bullet points of how I think it uh, presents itself. And then Ken will dive in and talk about any of those uh, that grab us. Uh, Do you feel ready for the theme dive? I feel ready, sir. Excellent. So under the general theme of mysterious identity and who are people really, here are the, some of the ways it manifests. Right at the beginning, we have the question of, is Dooku a political idealist or a murderer who is really trying to assassinate Padme? Who do we? Who is that? And uh, should the Jedi investigate it or not? Who ordered the clones and why? Is Jango a heartless bounty hunter or a loving father that wanted a child for some reason? Is Padme only about a duty and responsibility or can she allow desire into her life? Is Yoda a wise old master or an ass-kicking swordsman? Uh, He's described specifically as a swordsman in the film. Is Anakin the chosen one or is he an arrogant, dangerous risk? And where does he stand on responsibility versus desire? And then finally, in terms of mysterious identity, Zam Wessel is literally a shapeshifter. (laughs) It's literally a mysterious identity. So those are all the ways it jumped out to me. Ken, what in that collection of ideas grabs you what what uh interests you i um first of all i love this is so star wars i love that it's hard to say political idealist and not try to at least sound like kiati monday (laughs) (laughs) he is a political idealist uh that one jumps out to me the Django one's really interesting uh, too i really love the padme one um, and the Anakin stuff is juicy, juicy, juicy. But Padme only about duty. Can she admit desire? Which I think leads to some of her. Maybe I'm going to do something for myself, which, by the way, tracks to some stuff in Queen's Shadow to me, for me. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, uh, but, yeah, uh, the, the Dooku one, Dooku is such a juicy character, man. Yeah. And how does the overall theme affect you when you're watching it with this in mind? Do you feel similar to Empire? Do you feel like you are kind of making your way through the dark and that they, there's this energy that you maybe know a little bit more than the characters do? Um, yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Roll with that. <laughs> I'm also doing the thing that we occasionally have to do in Force Center where I have to mute while my gardeners uh, uh, do some great work right behind my window. Life is life is really getting into this episode. Uh, you got phone calls. You got attack of the gardener. This is a very active episode of Force Center. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, okay, so l- let's go to Django. Uh, why does why does that one jump out at you? That question of identity. 
Because it's so easy to do that surface thing with Boba and ties to Boba Fett as we knew him in the original trilogies. Ooh, cool outfit, gangster, bounty hunter, underworld stuff. Uh, that's that's gritty and cool. And uh, here's Django. So you're like a lot of people, and even back then, were like, "Do we need? Do we need another Fett? Is it Django?" But I really like. Uh, I was focusing on on Ton Wee kind of explaining to, uh, and, and I think Lama Su was there too as well. But like explaining to. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, sorry, it is Lemus uh, explaining to Obi-Wan of just like he he wanted one other thing. And he wanted a, a son. And just to me, like what that means. And then, uh, you know, I'm not saying the lessons he's imparting to Boba Fett are the lessons I would impart to my offspring, but he's really teaching him the ways of his world. And it not, I'm not saying it's, oh, that's charming. It's like, it's clear he wanted this and that's who he is. And maybe that's a different side of him that he doesn't get to explore. I don't know. I, I'm intrigued by that more than anything, more than any, maybe any other time in my life as a Star Wars fan. Yeah, I, I think that is one of the ones that just it just washes past you, except for the fact that uh, Lama Su does, you know, call it out of like he had a weird request. I'm paraphrasing, but like he, uh, she kind of puts a button on it, right? Of like, this is a weird thing <laughs> that was desired. Um, and I think what that all adds up to when you let yourself pay attention to it is this idea of we see characters who don't want to accept the complexity of other characters. That, you know, going from Hyari Mundi to being like, no, he's a Jedi and a political idealist. Those are our labels for him. And the label murderer, that complexity is not possible. Um, you get that maybe even with uh, just the way Obi-Wan or uh, we as viewers treat Jango Fett of like, oh, no, yeah, he's a, he's a kick-ass, merciless bounty hunter. Oh, but, but if you accept the question of well, why would he want a son, he suddenly starts to become more complex and it to me it, be, it it starts to become a very human argument of yeah anakin isn't the chosen one or an arrogant risk he's both um yep. it's not bad that he felt anger it's bad that he lashed out that way in anger and there's just a lot about the film that feels like with this theme it's arguing to see one another with complexity yeah, no, I was I was going to make the joke that a lot of the the either ors here that you've listed, uh, you could do the old sports betting term of it's a push, like it is both, and you know the part of the lesson in Django and Boba Fett might be, man, you started from good spot, spot, you you are just a simple man trying to make your way in the galaxy, and you wanted a son, um, and look at what you taught him, and your choices led to your death which led to him making some bad choices. And there's sometimes consequences for that. George is telling you a little bit of that with Anakin's story, right? So that's interesting. It's interesting thought starters with some of these, uh, which ones are they questions? Yeah. Yeah. And you get to see the, we got to see the Jedi uh, be a little bit rigid and a little bit cold to Anakin, but this is the film where we get to see them really uh, not practicing what they preach and not looking at things from all sides, but being kind of sure of themselves and making mistakes because of it. I, I love that you said that. I'm clapping again uh, because sometimes I, you and I, uh, it doesn't happen directly to us. A lot of the Force Center listeners, you're here. This is a campfire. We all like to uh, gather around and have discussions. But I sometimes you can put some out there about the Jedi and what they're supposed to do, uh, defend knowledge. And and sometimes some of these things are thrown back at you, right? Well, what about this? And sometimes I just want to say, yes, they did that wrong. <laughs> Congratulations. You just hit the point. Yeah. So, that's the story. Yeah. yeah. Side note, side note. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, there's that great contrast of seeing Yoda 
you know, celebrating the open mindedness of a child. And then you see Kiati Mundi and like, eh, maybe, maybe the kid should be in charge instead of Kiati Mundi. Yeah. Uh, okay, we're going to move on to another big theme that I really uh, like uh, this war versus pacifism. Just it is the mechanics of a lot of the plot, uh, but I think it it tips into the Jedi idea of when to attack uh, versus when to defend. And I think also wrapped in there is all of these emerging themes of attachment that become you know more and more explicit and more and more important to Star Wars. But just to run down some of the uh, points where this comes to the surface. Right at the top, uh, Padme and Bale are opposing raising an army. Uh, Padme even says, if we raise an army, it will start a civil war, which, mm-hmm. you know, it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get Obi-Wan chasing after Zam, uh, just smashing through that glass after debating with Anakin whether or not that actually was in their mandate. Are they there just to defend Padme, just to make sure she doesn't die? Or are they supposed to be proactive and, you know, attack, find out what's going on? Uh, depending on, on the way you look at it. Um, Yoda choosing to bring the clones to Geonosis. Uh, Yoda choosing to save Anakin and Obi-Wan and allow Dooku to escape. That's a real uh, attack versus defend choice. Uh, Django, Jango and Mace really do each other in. They they could have they could have whistled and walked away, but Jango goes after Mace and Mace chooses to take his head off. Mm. Uh, there's a real cycle of violence going on there. And then, of course, the the big one the centerpiece really of you know uh attack the clones is anakin's very clear attacking <laughs> of the yeah. tuscan raiders uh in my opinion uh so what are your general reactions to that uh i this uh, string of ideas about war and pacifism and what is attacking versus what is defending hey, uh, this is this is the wonderful food for thought because there shouldn't be any easy answers yeah you just jump to the big one the tuscan raiders oh, man i'd be upset i'd be upset we all would, but then you have to decide what to do with that. And I'm not even saying Anakin's, I mean, yeah, I'll say Anakin's wrong in this case, but like that, sh- I mean, yeah, you should, right. This is, this is a, a good Liam Neeson revenge movie right here. Right. And, um, I love that. I don't have the clear answer other than, yeah, maybe, you know, uh, the women and the children and slaughtering them like animals probably leads to the dark side. <laughs> um, but at the same time, seeing the imagery and the imagery of, of Shmi, it's, it's pretty bad, you know, it's it is, bad. it's pretty bad. So I go to that one first. There's a lot of other great ones, uh, going back to the Mace one again, you're talking, yeah, Mace, I'll say, uh, he maybe, maybe he gave, maybe, maybe Django had the choice to be better and he didn't. So I, I think Mace is okay, but look what he does. Cause he does it and he looks back up at Dooku like, uh-huh. <laughs> look what I just did. <laughs> and what's the effect on Boba Fett? Uh, could Mace factor that in? No, no, not in that moment. I don't fault Mace for that. But look at the discussion we just had with Trace and Rafa and Ahsoka and Clone Wars. Cause and effect, cause and effect. And these are the big questions. So it excites me. I don't have the answers, but it excites me. Yeah. And to me, I was just really struck by it this time of, you know, I've always liked that whole sequence. There's a lot of great stuff going on there with them both being uh, attacked by the Reek and, and uh, Django's uh, jet jetpack uh, malfunctioning, uh, which is also a little bit of a a look to the future of the Fets. Uh, but this time, I was really affected by, hey, y- you took his hand off. His his jetpack's not working. Good force push. Probably going to knock him out. But Mace decided, nah, you you've had your chances. You're done. Yeah. And then what repercussion is that? Was that? I guess that's what it gets down to me. Of like, if the Jedi use the force for knowledge and defense, like. 
I think you were safe at that point from Django Mace. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I'm not convinced that cutting his head off is defense. Right. Right. You know, there's, uh, I, I feel like I like a lot of the Jedi philosophy were like, well, at a certain point, the, you know, defense is putting down a Sith because they're never going to stop. But like, was he really at that point? And then getting that cycle of violence with seeing a Boba Fett pick up the helmet. I really love that. Um, I really, I've always loved Obi-Wan making such a big point out of having that, you know, just let's, let's air our dirty laundry in front of <laughs> Padme uh, about what our mandate is and whether we're here yeah. just to defend her and whether or not you should be using her as bait. And then like Obi-Wan himself, all of that argument goes out the window of just, nah, the opportunity's here. I'm going to find out what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love some of the cutaways to when anytime like, Anakin and Obi-Wan are arguing or Padme and Anakin, just some of the like Queen Jamila, just like, all right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a story about uh, Anakin learning not to have things out in front of other people. I think is <laughs> learning to fight in yeah. private. Um, so there's a lot of here about uh, war and pacifism. We're going to talk a little bit more about Padme and Bale's position really, really politically to say, if we raise an army, it will cause a civil war. A lot of this is about the Jedi and their choices. Mace mm. is so clear at the beginning of the film of we are peacekeepers, not soldiers. But by the end of the film, they are soldiers. And Yoda recognizes this as somewhat of a tragedy. So what do you think truly happened in this movie, what what made the Jedi fail to remain peacekeepers? I, I think there could be, follow me here, I don't know, this now goes on to Palpatine, on to Sidious, on part of the plan of putting them in this tough spot. Again, you know, we're, we, we know there's not a lot of clear answers. There's some good thoughts behind a lot of the directions with these choices and these when to attack and when to defend questions we're, we're proposing here. But uh, I think Palpatine knows, I'm going to put you in a tough spot. I'm going to put you in a very tough spot where to defend, you might have to attack and you have no choice. And that's part of the genius of his plan. Uh, I thought about that today when Yoda's just like, I'm going to go to Camino. I'm going to see what's going on. Well, you know what? Suit up. We're going in. <laughs> yeah. What makes him do that? Well, what part of it is everyone's in trouble. Everyone's in trouble. He's, they've got to go save the day. Knowing that, well, this probably starts the war that we, you know, a lot of people see coming. And if you did it again, would you make a different choice? Hindsight might say yes, but I think if you're in that moment again and again and again, you're going to do it. Which, by the way, might also lead to Yoda having some thoughts later on with Luke about, eh, don't rush off. If you value what if, what, what they fight for, you might not want to do that. Yeah, yeah. I think there's this hubris and this hope that, oh, we're Jedi, we're really powerful, uh, one of our own has gone astray, so we see this as uh, cleaning up our mess, defending the galaxy from the Sith that it appears Dooku has become, mm -hmm. and we'll just end this real quick, and it'll be one big battle, it'll be that it's, it's terrible, we don't like violence, but we'll have this battle and be done. And the fact that it does not work out for them and it just launches the war. I think that's a part of it that I don't think about as often of they really hope to have it be one and done, not to just start an endless war. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Yoda's really realizing of like, we didn't capture Dooku. This is much bigger. And, mm -hmm. and now we're now we're all in. A um, couple of the things I like about their slip into being peacekeepers is how tied they are to the government. Uh, and this has been explored in other great Star Wars storytelling 
But this idea that uh, the Jedi don't want to be like the Sith. They don't want to crave more power. They have their power and they want to use it, but they don't want to take over the uh, Republic. They, it's, mm. it's explicit in Revenge of the Sith of to a dark place, this will take us. So they have this like, look, we, we will advise the government, but you know, if the government decides something, we'll go along with it. And you get to that point of like, well, uh, Jar Jar uh, proposed the emergency powers to Palpatine. Palpatine says, great, we're going to raise an army. The army exists. Mm. We Jedi did not make any of these choices, but it's the situation we find ourselves in. So I guess we'll roll with it. Yeah. And there's that great Shakespearean tragedy question of, you know, when could you make a different choice? And what would have happened if they're like, great that you built an army. Great that you're going to go to war. We're not touching that. Um, right. But they're in lockstep step with this government that Palpatine has perverted. Yeah. So he can kind of jerk the Jedi along with them because along with the government, because they've allowed themselves to be tied to the government because they're trying to have this good perspective of we don't need any more power. We don't want to run the government. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really powerful to me. Palpatine's thought about a lot of things, man. <laughs> He's real good. He's real good at the space chess. Um, yeah. The other thing that struck me about this is, you know, I think that there is a story of fear of loss. I think that Yoda mm. is struggling to practice what he preaches or to find what is the right choice in really hard situations of is showing up with the clones. Is that preserving life because there's no reason for all of these Jedi to be slaughtered? Is that uh, defending the galaxy from Dooku or is it that, he doesn't want all of these people that he knows and he cares about all these Jedi slaughtered, you know, is there an element of fear of personal loss from Yoda that motivates him? Yeah. Uh, God, yeah. Sorry. I'm thinking offline too. Uh, a little, uh, Obi-Wan and just yelling at Anakin, like we, we could end the war if we killed Dooku right there. And that's kind of in the same vein to me a little bit of like, uh, make a killing, save some lives, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Not make it kill him financially. Like, and then we could steal his money too. <laughs> He's very rich. Yeah, he did. I took that slightly different direction. You were talking about Yoda, but yeah, yeah, that, that popped in my head. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I think there are many uh, moments of that. Like I, I like throughout the prequels, Obi-Wan is quite clear on, well, no, let's look at things from lots of different perspectives, but also, uh, you know, Sith have to be defeated. That's just, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, all right, so we're going to move on to uh, the next theme, and that is knowledge versus wisdom. Uh, I started thinking through the film uh, from this perspective because I listened to our old friend in the 50s diner, Dexter Jetster, mm -hmm. uh, when they are discussing the Kamino saber dart uh, and whether or not the Jedi droids can uh, analyze it properly. Dexter Jetster explicitly says that the Jedi should know the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Now, when I started thinking through it, that tied into a bunch of different moments for me. Uh, we get Jocasta News uh, archive knowledge that if it is not in the archive, she knows for a fact, then it doesn't exist. Then we get the wisdom of a child of, well, maybe let's look at that from a different point of view. Um, mm -hmm. We get Dooku's speech to Obi-Wan, which we've uh, talked about a lot and we're going to talk about more. He gives Obi-Wan a bunch of knowledge, uh, explicit knowledge about Sidious, but not the tools to turn it into wisdom or Obi-Wan doesn't allow it to become wisdom. Uh, that's what's kind of at stake in Obi-Wan's detective story is he finds out a ton of the what and who 
uh, about a lot of things. He doesn't get, you know, close to Sidious's identity, but he finds out a lot of information, but he, he can't get to the why in this film, right? He knows that Sifo Dias did this. He knows that we have a clone army. He knows who's behind the separatists, who's trying to kill Padme and all these things, but he doesn't get quite to why, which I would think of is the wisdom. And then we got that great scene that you were talking about earlier where we learned that the dark side is literally clouding the Jedi's uh, power, the their ability to use the Force uh, to look into possibilities of the future. So looking into knowledge, uh, maybe looking into cutting them off from wisdom. Um, and then the big one for me that really resonated on this viewing is that Padme is poised to be not just knowledgeable, but wise. Padme is consistently right about almost everything. So uh, she thinks early on Dooku is behind the plot and we get that great condescending line from Kiati Mundi. Uh, yeah. She says explicitly that if we raise an army, it will start a civil war, which is exactly what happens. Uh, she says, I'm afraid the separatists will just turn to the Trade Federation and the corporate alliance, which is exactly what's happening. Uh, she tells Anakin to be angry is to be human, uh, which I think is sort of wisdom for your feelings are understandable. But the choice is what what are you going to do with them? Uh, she is the one who decides to go rescue Obi-Wan, which we can debate uh, whether that's a wisdom Um She's on top of the fight with the next who is a kind of wisdom because she is thinking ahead. So uh, that those are my thoughts on knowledge versus wisdom. Uh, where do you want to take this uh, conversation of that theme? Ken? Oh, wow. There's a lot. I, there's a lot. I, I, I kind of want to start uh, a little bit with the Padme thing because, uh, you know, Padme in the prequels, we, we love Padme and Phantom Menace. We talk often about Padme and the Phantom Menace. I think it's easy to over look her in the rest of the films. And yeah, there's some stuff in Sith. We'll talk about that when we take a look at Revenge of the Sith. But looking now, I think it's easy to look at the romance stuff, to look at some of the awkward dialogue. You get stuck on the surface of all that. But what you're saying, what what powerful lessons? The, the, right from the beginning. Right from the beginning, Caddy Mundy's like, nah, come on. <laughs> come on. Right? Boom, boom, boom. She's right. What does that say? What is that what kind of comment on on culture even culture now of uh you know uh women in the workplace quite frankly i've heard it's like hey how about this no <laughs> no 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 there's no way i knew dooku i mean <laughs> there kids there's some lessons so i i love there because then she's also got street fights uh street smarts and and again i think that ties to leia real easy uh you know mm -hmm. uh, of her undoing the handcuffs and getting on top of the fight so yeah i don't know i want to start there because she she does have the wisdom yeah, I think that there is also this connection to uh, Shmi. We've, we've done a whole episode of Force Center about how Shmi is given all of these uh, central themes and core ideas of the Skywalker saga uh, is, is her wisdom in The Phantom Menace. And then you go to this with Padme, and it's it's not just political savvy. It's not just she's uh, good with a blaster and a trained fighter. It's that she has this total situational awareness. And to me, that's what this knowledge versus wisdom theme is about is to me knowledge is facts do you know stuff can you read it on uh, wikipedia can you say it in a trivia contest wisdom right. is applying it mm -hmm. and she's looking at everything going here's my laundry list of facts whether it's a fight in arena or a political reality of and now i'm going to take a step further and go here's what i think is going to happen because i have the wisdom to apply the knowledge and make um a determination you know in things is is 
small and easy to overlook in the film is eh, the separatists have legitimate ideological problems, but in order to really make a stand out of them, they will need financial and military backing, particularly if we raise an army. So who would they trade uh, turn to? Uh, the other power in the galaxy, the financial corporate structure that is known to build droids. Like that's that's using knowledge and turning it into wisdom. Mm-hmm. And blockaded my planet. <laughs> yeah, a, a few memories, some bad ones. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, I I love it. And to me, there's something not lost on me that she's she's not part of the Jedi order. You know what I mean? She's, she's, she's got uh free reign to go where she wants. And it's not, it's not, it's not a bad, I'm not pointing the fingers at the Jedi order at this time. It's, it's got some problems, but um, so I don't want to sound like I'm slagging it off completely, but just uh, that she, she doesn't have to be like, if she feels Dooku is the killer or the, the one behind it, she's going to go there and allow herself to go there until she discovers that's true or not and not be like, well, no, that wouldn't be my training tells me, you know, I just like that. She could, she's on, she's got street knowledge. She's got street knowledge. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I like that the, this idea is really back and forth in the Jedi. So we get the Kiati Mundi line that we are uh, making a uh, poking a little bit of fun at. Uh, we get the um, Jocasta knew the rigidity of th- I really think a lot of the archives that if it's not here, it's it doesn't exist. But then you get Yoda, and I think Yoda's so great in this film because we get to see those sparks of humanity and that sense of humor and whimsy, uh, but also that idea of, yeah, we got to be open-minded and try to see it with fresh eyes the way a kid would. So it's those ideas aren't gone from the Jedi. It's just these critical choices are being made from this point of rigidity. And you get the sense of that rigidity creeping in to the point where Obi-Wan is like, I got to ask uh, my weird friend in the diner and, you yeah. know, uh, children, because the main structure of the Jedi has has let this rigidity and uh, hubris creep in. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, I like that. It's not just like straightforward. That's everything. It's the it, it's the interplay between the rigidity versus the open mindedness. Let me let me ask you a Padme question. So she's right about so many things. We know, like, from a very technical standpoint, she is right that if uh, she and Anna can allow themselves to embrace their feelings, that it's going to cause problems for her as a senator. It's against the rules of the Jedi Order. Anakin might even be expelled for it. Mm-hmm. But she does uh, allow herself to embrace the romance eventually. Do you think that is wisdom? Do you think she is making the right call to open herself up to her emotions? I look at we 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 know where this goes right we know this goes so that's that's gonna maybe make it tough to answer but I think and I, and I uh, when we talk about the romance maybe we'll go into more but I I think there's something to be said for her at this point to allow herself to possibly make a mistake if that makes sense uh, to you know maybe part of my continued growth is to I need I need to allow this and this this is what I said with ties to. Queen Shadow, a little bit of her trying to get away from that public life and go to a normal life. And and, and she's denied this and denied this and denied this. And like, you know what? I'm feeling this. I'm going to go with this. Um, wisdom be damned, maybe a little bit. And I, I think it, we can say it's a mistake, but I, I'm in Padme's, uh, I'm in her side. I'm on her side here to be like, uh, this is what I want. And I'm making this choice to do this in this moment. Especially to hey, I might be dead in a second. <laughs> let me let yeah. me confess it. So I, I'm I'm with her on that. Um, 
And maybe we don't know. We're not, I can't have a one-on-one conversation with Padme, the character right now, but the idea of maybe in that moment, she does know she's not again, not wrong. And she knows. So maybe she allows herself to feel that because she felt the end was nigh. And then, oh well, yeah. And give I mean, myself that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's pretty uh, explicit of like, it seems like her life's going to be over, but like, she, it seems like maybe obviously she is uh, drawn to Anakin for many reasons, but he is literally injured. He almost did lose his life. They both almost lost their lives. So you can imagine that uh, uh, playing into her idea, her decision to go along with the secret marriage or who, who knows, we didn't, we don't actually get to see the, uh, the decision. Maybe, uh, maybe she's the one who put her foot on the gas and said, yeah, screw it. Let's get married. I think for me, uh, I think the the idea of looking at Attack of the Clones is sort of a uh, defense of being complex as a person. Yeah. I like the idea that it is wisdom that Padme allows herself the complexity to say, yep, I am a senator, I am a leader, I am all these things, I'm a public servant, but which gets highlighted in this film, but I also need to let myself be a human and I, I love this guy and I want to let that out. The thing that, to me is what dooms the relationship is going back to the Star Wars theme of the rigid versus the organic of probably hiding it is what dooms it more than the actual love blossoming, right? Because this is yet another one of those what ifs you get to play out in your head of what if they did just say, she's like, I'm sorry, I'm going to retire. And and Anakin's like, yeah, I'm going to walk away from the Jedi order. Mm. You know, I know from everything that we discuss in the film, they're both too committed to their responsibility to do that. They, so they, they try to find a way to have both. Yeah. But it, to me, it's this real interesting idea of it's not letting in the warmth and the love and the romance. It's the hiding it in, in you know, being controlled by the rigidity of the structure that you live in. Yeah, that's the big what if. Yep. Should have yeah. stayed on the boo. <laughs> <laughs> yep yep that, the lake country is quite beautiful everyone was right about that uh, any other thoughts you have on the general knowledge versus wisdom theme before we move on no i mean there's a lot to talk about with dooku and i believe he's using that knowledge to obscure wisdom uh it's so funny that yoda towards the end right and in, 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 in the very final moments of the film he's he gets it right he's like no 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 dooku he's trying to like destroy your trust he's trying to play with trust but then even Yoda kind of gets it wrong. We can't see because I think to me, Duke is doing so good. It, it's not unlike, it's not unlike the revelation to Luke about Vader being his father. And it's the, where it's just, you're hearing the truth, but you can't believe it. Uh, you know, you, you're, you just can't connect to it. So that's what I love about those moments with Obi-Wan. I love, I just watch Christopher Lee's face, Betty. I think he plays it so well, so well. Just like, all right, let me give you the truth. And I still wonder in my head if Obi-Wan was like, yeah, all right, let's destroy the Sith. Would Obi- would Dooku have done that because he just wants power? He doesn't care where he gets it? Eh, maybe. That's why he hangs his head. Eh, difficult to secure your release. Whatever. I'm moving on. And now you're left with all these confusing thoughts. Point. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And I think, yeah, it is, it is like, hey, maybe, uh, maybe Obi-Wan will go for this and maybe I can, you know, manipulate him and use him, uh, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. But if not, hey, what a great just, you know, poison seed to plant in the minds of the Jedi Order of like, don't trust anyone. You're you're being clouded by the dark side and uh, you're, you're puppets dancing on a string you can't see. What a great way to just fill you with doubt and fear and paranoia. 
Yeah. And to, and to tie it to Qui-Gon because, you know, he's, he's in the ballpark of being right. I think Dooku's wrong, but yes, enough there to be like, I, I know Qui-Gon enough, you know, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm friends with Scrim- Scrimshaw. Yeah. I, I could see him doing that. <laughs> you know, like And me going, Oh yeah, you're right. Maybe you're right. No, wait. Yeah. No, I- yeah. <laughs> Remember how you're, hey, Obi-Wan, remember how your whole life right now is totally dictated by the wishes of your dying master? Like, are you sure, are you sure you're doing the right thing? Is that, that's such great emotional manipulation. Yeah. So awful. Uh, the final big theme that I wanted to talk about, and maybe theme isn't even the right word, but it just really struck me. Uh, we, we talk about the big political picture of the prequels about uh, how a government can be destroyed from inside and, and all that. But Watching Attack of the Glones again, it just struck me what a deeply political film it is. And, you know, you can attach it to various real world politics if you want, or you can just discuss it as the politics of the galaxy far, far away. But here's a list of things that are just overtly political in Attack of the Clones. Uh, The entire plot hinges on the Military Creation Act. Um, Padme is coming back to vote against raising an army because she feels that if you raise a fist to the separatists, they'll raise one right back and we'll have a civil war. Uh, Obi-Wan goes on a monologue about campaign finance (laughs) and Anakin has to be like, not another election about campaign finance reform. Uh, Anakin and Padme are on a refugee ship. That can, those words can just watch over you. But the choice to actually help refugees is a picture of a, a political story. Uh, the CO Bibble, just a blatant exposition that we can sometimes laugh at because it's blatant exposition. Uh, after four trials in the Supreme Court, Newt Gunray is free. That is overtly political. We make the 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 comparison. Uh, Trade Federation obviously has a lot of historical stuff with the East India Company and, and uh, British territorialism and all sorts of stuff. But um, uh, we like to talk about like, well, what if Amazon blockaded North Dakota? Mm-hmm. Um, now imagine that uh, Jeff Bezos was put on trial four times in the the ruling, you know, judicial body was like, eh, I think it was fine that he yeah. <laughs> invaded North Dakota and tortured and killed people there. Like it's yeah. it's a big deal that the Supreme Court couldn't uh, actually convict yeah. Newt Gunray of anything. Um. Of course, we have Jar Jar proposing Palpatine's emergency powers. Uh, this is subtle, but, you know, it's, it's Jar Jar is in the Senate. We see some Gungans on, on Naboo. So we get the picture that they are now involved in Naboo society and politics. And then, of course, a huge thing is that the separatist movement we know is individual systems who are unhappy. Uh, but their movement is kind of being mm, co-opted by all these corporate and institutional forces, the trade federation, the corporate alliance, the commerce guild, the banking clan, the techno union. You know, it's not um, it's not random bad guys in dark uh, capes. It is the powers that be of finance and in uh, in capitalism. Um and then, of course, the romantic picnic between Anakin and Padme turns into a debate about the nature of democracy. <laughs> so it's easy to just watch this and go, oh, man, the, the fight in the arena, Django and Obi-Wan, all sorts of cool stuff. But for, for people who sometimes want to say, I want Star Wars to go back when it wasn't political, well, that sure was not during Attack of the Clones. <laughs> I'll tell you why. And you talk about our initial, uh, you know, thoughts on the movie back in 2002, where, where our point of view uh, for this movie begins. 
what you just described here is the separatist movement is 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 co-opted and, and made up on screen in a lot of ways by Trade Federation, the Corporate Alliance, Commerce Guild, Banking Clan, Techno Union, the great roll call of all those characters. The Techno Union is with you. <laughs> all those scenes. I remember being like, man, I can't like how boring is it that the bad guys are like banks? <laughs> <laughs> You know, you want to, I want some red lightsabers and some capes and everything. Believe me, I want all that stuff. That's the frosting on this cake that I, I, I love to just smoosh my mouth into. All right. But it's so funny to my, have my reaction back then now to, to where we are now. Again, you can attach, yes, you can attach it to real world stuff because George wanted you to, or George at least wanted you to think about it, or you can just look at it at Star Wars. And it is, it is beautifully layered within the Star Wars story and it makes you, think or look at look at things in the real world uh not even saying to change your opinion if you believe one way or another just like it's all there and back in 02 i was like no oh, the banks were there what yeah yeah and i think uh for me i was kind of caught up in the lore and of anakin's fall and obi-wan as a character in the romance and that yeah i saw it and and i and i got it as particularly the jar jar giving uh palpatine the emergency sure. powers that's that's uh, pretty overt and a huge part of it. But really looking at, I think what I appreciate about it is it's not just the story of the government that was manipulated from the inside uh, by Palpatine and, and some very familiar things of, hey, we now we have an enemy to fear, the, to, to kind of other, the separatists. So we got to raise an army and make people feel like it's defense and, and all these kinds of things. But just that I feel like this is, Attack the Clones is trying to portray a a version of politics in the galaxy far far away where our heroes believe in compassion they believe in trying to help others and they're caught up in systems where that's really really hard to do and i think if anything that's what i just take away from just lucas's just basic vision of yeah helping other people is good and any time that a, an institution becomes corrupted and it is no longer helping people and is just looking out for itself. Uh, and I think that's what the, the critique of large organizations is from, from the Jedi kind of crumbling uh, all the way down to, hey, uh, the techno union wants to make money. They don't care about the actual people in the separatist alliance who have ideological grievances. It's about greed. And Lucas has so been about that's a part of the dark side is it just keeps you wanting more and more and more. So for me, when I look at the political story, it's lots of interesting ways to take it. But the, the big takeaway is, you know, right at the beginning, Padme and Bale are just leading with compassion of like, war's going to hurt people and let's try to avoid it at all costs. And then all of these institutions won't allow it. Mm. Yeah. Look what, and look what he's saying about the Jedi order. It's, and it's not like the Jedi order has got to go. It's that you have moved away from what you're supposed to be and what you could be. You know, he's not saying the banking clan doesn't need to exist. <laughs> he's just saying, what are you doing with that? Just like his battles with the director's guilt. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think even just to uh, the the uh, strange, uh, what is democracy picnic? <laughs> between Padme and Anakin, which I actually really love that scene. I'm poking some light fun at it. But just that Padme says, like, yeah, it's a complex system that... That is what we do. We get everybody together and we discuss what's best for the most people. The problem is we don't always agree. So it's a messy, difficult system. And yeah. for me, I think that's just a 
a pretty straightforward opinion about what the nature of democracy is, is, is this good intent that's really difficult because people have a lot of different points of views and a lot of different priorities. Yeah, and, and quickly for me, uh, I know when we move on, but like the, to, to attach this to uh, the original trilogy, then to attach it to, hey, we're talking about Solo this week. You and I love Solo for a lot of reasons, but one of them is what it what the state of the galaxy really looks like on the ground when that uh, oppressive foot is on top of you and what it does. And this all this stuff you're talking about, Attack of the Clones, and in the prequels just makes the rebellion against the Empire that much more richer, that it isn't just generic good versus generic bad. And here's the reasons why. And here was was good. And there's more layers to it. And the celebrations now in the special editions of all the different people affected by it have more meaning to me because of stuff going on in these films. Right, right. It wasn't just like they, they're bad guys because I saw them choke somebody once or they blew up a planet. That yeah. the idea that they that the emperor successfully has has taken over all institutions and no one really has help from anyone ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and he, you know, empire comes along, emperor comes along and absolutely takes what they want. And as you're saying, that's illustrated so beautifully in solo and it makes it a really uh, rich tapestry of storytelling about the larger galaxy in the whole uh, Skywalker star Wars saga. Yeah. So we're going to move from that to comedy. Uh, <laughs> I actually think that uh, Attack of the Clones is a, is a funny movie on purpose many times. Do you have favorite comedy moments, Ken? So I do. I did mention earlier that some of the comedy doesn't work for me and a lot of people. Yep, I'll go right to that 3PO stuff. I, 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 I even now, even today, watch it this morning, Joseph, over my cereal and coffee, try to find something. I'm like, yeah, this is a big whiff overall for me. For me. For me. It still doesn't. Uh, Okay, important question. When you say coffee and cereal, is your cereal floating in your coffee? It almost did at some of those lines. <laughs> I almost just dumped it in the, in the cereal. No, um, but that said, that said, yeah, I'm I'm with you. There's a lot of actually really funny moments. I love, and I don't want to steal any from you here, uh, but I love Obi-Wan talking to Lama Sue and Tan Wee and just rolling with it. Yes, ending. <laughs> That's why I'm here. I think it's low-key funny that Boba Fett gives so much shade to Kenobi for almost no reason other than he's there. He's just a Jedi yeah. in a dumb robe. Yeah, Ton Wee's here, and he looks at him like, who are you, idiot? Uh, and then uh, I think one of them a lot of people love is the Obi-Wan. Good job in the, uh, in the arena. Yeah, yeah. I took a picture of it with the uh, closed captions on this time so I can, you know, uh, look at it when I'm upset about something. I love the good job. Really legitimately funny. Um, I think that how embarrassing. Obi-Wan's lost a planet. How embarrassing. How embarrassing is uh, legitimately funny. Uh, Now that I've let myself embrace the romance in a different way, uh, I feel like the music cutting out, the swelling music cutting out of the kiss and then Anakin staring up just like, what? how does romance and kissing work what the hell is going on is legitimately funny to me like on purpose funny i i tell you, tell you what first screening 2002 i i and a lot of people lol at that all right don't let anyone <laughs> get you down on the, the sand moment all right it's iconic for so many reasons that was a funny moment it played well in the theaters for me yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've talked about a lot of favorite action beats from Attack of the Clones. Uh, what is your favorite? I, I know uh, we both love the uh, the sound of those uh, sonic bombs, but uh, what else for you? There's The Battle of Geonosis is just, it's so weirdly beautiful. Uh, from George, who's generally, I would say, anti-war, and there's just so many 
beautiful shots, but every one of those shots is about the overwhelming nature of it. And maybe the clones up against a literal wall of dust and droids and, and that fight. And I think there's a lot in there. And I just love the little things to talk about those playground moments. When I walked out of the theater in 02, the, the lats flying into battle and that one shot of uh, right when they start leaving the arena and the b- bigger battle is going to begin and, and the rockets get reloaded and there's that click and that sound and that whir of the engines. I mean, when I talk about that frosting on the cake, give me that frosting. That's what I love. And I love all those kind of things. And not for nothing, the Zam Wessel chase is underrated. I like that. It really is. It's it's great. Yeah, I mean, I love all the action. I, I love the uh, arena and uh, all the Jedi being there. Um, I would have taken even more beats of, of Jedi action fighting, but I just love the kind of concept of the arena. I love the Obi-Wan uh, Jango Fett fight. Uh, there's some great comedy moments in that, too. I love... Uh, when Obi-Wan has the, oh, not good. <laughs> yeah. He sees him uh, sliding down. He's still tethered to him. I'll, I'll also say just for uh, a lot of individual action scenes, but I think it is one of the big things that I loved about this movie now and in 2002. I was so all in on young uh, Obi-Wan. And I love the picture of him that really comes to the fore in Attack of the Clones as the Jedi who is just going out and doing his job. And this is just, it's, it's high stakes as we learn, but Mm. it's a Jedi assignment. And I like that he doesn't like racing and that Anakin's kind of scary moves make him a little bit nervous. And then the blast, this is why I hate flying and that there's, there's no emotional investment in fighting Django. It's just what he has to do. It makes for great moments of humor and great moments of uh, character within the action. I, I'm really on board with what you're saying about just a, a Jedi doing his job uh, and getting assignments because then you got to imagine this is what always happened and this is what uh, we'll learn more about in High Republic or any other Jedi stories. Here's your assignment. Go do it. You're not necessarily a hero. You're just working. And I like that Obi-Wan's a working man. Yeah, yeah. He just wants to capture uh, this bounty hunter, bring him back, and then go back to Dexter's to talk politics. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so romance, we've, we've talked a lot about it, but, uh, we also want to be able to highlight it cause it's a huge part of the movie and a huge part of, uh, people's different opinions about the movie. So at this point, the far flung year of 2020, hmm. what works for you and what doesn't and why? I'll tell you what. So yeah, we talked about, yeah, there's some real world uh, chemistry issues or choices issues, dialogue. I still, I still would have taken silence and a kiss as they go into the arena. It would have been just a really beautiful moment. We would have got it. Um, but Hey, George didn't do that. What are you going to do? So um, over the years, this has been maligned and, and a little bit, uh, I'll say maybe good reason or understand, but here's the thing. I think because we see it, and, and by the way, across uh, across the stars, great theme, love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really good, but I think you know it's it's this sweeping romance. It's it's Luke and Leia's mom and dad. It's Vader. It's tragic. It's Shakespearean in a way, and all these big things that we love. But then sometimes when you break it down, we have mo- problems with the individual moments. I think it's taken wrong. So, some of it was there. I don't want to talk about that, but and I don't want to ramble too long. Stop me when you need to, Joseph. But no, no. Watching this now, this all works for me because this thing I'm always on about now. The people probably get sick of me, especially when it comes to Game of Thrones. It's just like characters do bad things, and that's often the point. And I think this love is supposed to be wrong. Anakin is this young man, full of of misplaced and dangerously misunderstood emotions. Dangerously. 
Well, that's a problem because he didn't have, he talks about Obi-Wan being like a father, as we heard, is that great Filoni speech from a couple weeks ago? It's that's like, not is. And he doesn't have the same relationship that he would have had with, with Qui-Gon. And his love is quite frankly fueled by obsession, idealism, and bad idealism. He remarks in that refugee scene, which is good. He remarks, uh, um, or is it early on? Sorry, sorry. I've been watching the whole movie this morning. Uh, he mm-hmm. remarks that, um, oh my gosh, you know, you haven't changed a bit when she has. She has grown up. She's fully formed. She has learned. She has tried to run away, but pulled back in and made that choice. And he, to me, is just still like, yeah, remember when I gave you that poor snippet? <laughs> right. And he can't let go of what he held on to. Because, again, he also probably for 10 years now has been dreaming about that. And maybe got him through some tough times as he grew up. And he just he did that. That that it's obsession. And it's supposed to be wrong. And that leads to his attachment. So his attachment is you and I can talk about all the time. Vader's attachments come from these deep things, but but they're they're wrong. And and if you approach it the right way, thing the story would have the, the pieces would have fallen in a different way. He, that's a Sith. That's one of his first Sith traits. He's holding on to what once was and he can't let go and move to something else. And the reward might be better if he sees Padme for what she actually is and again she's still beautiful and all those kind of things he's writing poems in his head but he's not seeing her for who she is and that's part of the problem and it's creepy then we can get into why padme uh does uh, fall for him or choose to fall for him in those moments but that's my take on anakin and that relationship now oh that's really really great um i think that's a great point of when he last saw her she was uh it's been 10 years and she was 14 so she's 24 now right and that's a hell of a thing to say to a person you haven't changed in between the years 14 to 24 where i think most of us do change a bit uh and he and he has changed outwardly right and he has grown um uh, you know into a young man and he has grown more powerful in all these things but you get the sense that you're right emotionally he hasn't changed Um, I think for me, the part that I can really embrace from Anakin's perspective is he, he doesn't have the, that father figure. He kind of does with Obi-Wan. Certainly there's that, there's a little bit of that vacuum and that vacuum is being filled by, uh, Palpatine whispering in his ear. So that's a bad influence. Um, but also like he misses his mother so much and he resents the responsibility of the Jedi that had stopped him from going and finding his mother and finding that warmth and that love. And I think you combine all those things of here, here comes Padme uh, back into his life. And like you said, he's obsessive. It's obviously like hormonal and sexual. There's no way around it. He's, she is beautiful and exciting and worldly and has shown him kindness and love when he was young. And he is obsessive about her for all sorts of super understandable reasons. Mm. But then you marry that with the idea of, I really, I've got this weird mentor in Palpatine. I, I've got this uh, kind of father, kind of brother, kind of, res- he's my mentor. He, I'm his responsibility relationship with Obi-Wan. And I miss this intimate warmth of just feeling loved and nothing else. Uh, and I can't get that back from my mom because my responsibility is holding me back. So mm-hmm. in fact, yeah, uh, maybe screw my Jedi responsibilities and Padme, please give me what what I haven't been able to have. I, you know, I deeply want and need that. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, once you just invest in, that's where he's coming from. He is an unguided, 
tormented youth. The, the some of the like the dialogue by the um, fireplace that is so tortured and dramatic of you're in my soul haunting me is like he's he's just saying bad poetry out loud that plenty of us have written. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, you look, man. This maybe this is connecting to me extra powerfully this week because I in that storage bin that uh, you know that I went through, I found some old like po- poems and lyrics I wrote at twenty, and I read them <laughs> and went, so "Who? Uh, someone should have punched me because that ain't none of it. None of it's right. None of it's you know it's coming from an honest place. Because it's all you know at the time, and it sounds like Anakin at that fireplace. <laughs> you know, yeah." Were you haunted by the kiss someone should never have given you? I got I, 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 the, the record stopped playing several times. Let me just say that. <laughs> just yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. I, so I think for me, the uh, from the Anakin side of it, and I really want to discuss the Padme side of it as well. Uh, once I embrace it that way, a lot of it works for me. The, the beat that still is just always going to bother me because I think it comes off uh, upsetting in maybe ways that weren't intended, at least to me, is that scene early on in her apartment where she says you know, stop looking at me like that. You make me uncomfortable. And then the sorry, milady, it, it comes across as, you know, I, I think that that moment to me always felt like it was supposed to be a little bit of that Han and Leia vibe of like, yeah, the woman saying, I'm not ready to open up to this. And the kind of, it, it felt to me like the Han and Leia beat in Empire Strikes Back of, you know, uh, holding, it, being held by you isn't enough to get me excited. Sorry, I don't have time for anything else. So like, yeah, it's meant to be a little, a little playful, a little dangerous. But to me, it just comes off as she told you to stop leering at her and then you turned around and leered at her. And that one is always just a little hard for me because of that, whether it was intended or not. And almost everything else, it flows better for me now. Just accepting Anakin is not on solo at all, but a a tortured, inexperienced kid. Yeah. And And that Lucas was presenting, yeah, this sweeping romance that you love in Star Wars. That's bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what are your thoughts on the romance uh, at this point from Padme's perspective? Well, all that said, all that said, I, I don't think their connection is false to, to me um, because going to the shack picnic scene, uh, some shack butt riding around there, there is a great moment. And, and for all the stiff acting and lack of chemistry, there's some real moments that I think they found there as performers. And I really like, there's a moment when Natalie Portman plays it as just like that second glance. She's laughing. Her cheeks are, you know, my, my image of, 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 of my memory image of Padme in all these movies is a stern face. Um, you know, her cheekbones are at the forefront because she's not smiling. She's just kind of grimacing. She's serious. She's, I don't, I don't want to do anything that will lead to an act of war. I don't want to do this. And, and in this picnic scene, it's, it's she's big smiles uh, and connecting. And there's a, a kind of a double take she does uh, that she sees something there in Anakin, but also sees what could possibly be for her. For her. I, I really do connect this idea of just like, She's been denying and she's had these other boyfriends. You know, we see them pop up, Rush Clovis, all that kind of stuff pops up in the Clone Wars. But she never, it, it didn't work. And and I don't fault her for wanting something to work and having a fully formed life. And so I love, I was watching that just this morning and I love the way she plays it. Of just like, huh, huh, what is there here for me? And she makes maybe a choice to ignore some things. All right. Yeah. But you know what? Isn't that fun sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> and I want Padme to have some fun, but I think it goes deeper uh, for that. Again, again, she tried to leave for normal life and she's drawn in by something that uh, she could maybe see for herself. And and I, I don't falter for that at all. Yeah, no, I love a lot of what you're saying. I think there is a true 
romance there. Um, and I think she truly does care about and is attracted to Anakin. And I think that develops in the film where she starts as like, oh, wow, you've grown up. Um, but she is caught up in, she's she's involved in incredibly serious things. Her, she yeah. is, cares a lot about stopping the creation of the, the military, uh, the Military Creation Act. Uh, she is concerned, obviously, about her life. She's losing people. Uh, Corday and Dorme mm-hmm. is in danger. And, and I think she starts to open up. Um, mm-hmm. And when she does, I, I love the scenes on Naboo when they're being more playful. Uh, she's talking about Paulo <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, in remembering times where she was more youthful and was al- allowed to have embraced that warm and romantic side of herself. And, mm-hmm. and you can see the sort of uh, excitement of being introduced to like, she gets the Jedi, she knows their whole thing, but suddenly Anakin is showing her the romance of it. Like everybody understandably reacts to the CGI of the, the fruit floating. And, you know, in the real world of that be great uh, flirting to float a fruit at somebody. Great. Sure. I get it. Uh, but I love that scene because it's about her hearing about the romance of being a Jedi. Not only is he using the force, but he's talking about like, well, yeah, sometimes we have to do aggressive negotiations. It's fighting with a lightsaber. It's, um, it's talking about the romantic side of it. And she, I think can start to see him the way he sees her, which is you, you open up this door to this whole other world that I don't know. And, and that draws me even closer to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, and I'll falter for for any of it. It's it's it's. I don't write off any of her decisions in this film. Easy. Padme is a is a, made these choices for herself, and sometimes you got to take that, that take that risk, even if, even if it backfires. We have the benefit of knowing it does. She doesn't at that time. Yeah, and I think going to another scene that that people struggle with often is her consoling Anakin after he mm-hmm. goes on his genocide speech about yeah. killing the men and the women and the children and slaughtering them. Uh, I think that it can be hard to f- focus on Padme because we are seeing that's young Vader admitting to his first <laughs> slaughter, right? And you're like, okay, well, why? But I, I feel like Padme's character is that she is caring. And when she sees something, somebody wounded, somebody hurting, she wants to help. And I think another thing that we can ignore, but Queen's Shadow dives into so much is Padme knew Shmi. Padme was right. affected by seeing the condition that Shmi was lived in, that she could be owned by somebody else, that Anakin was a slave. And she is going back to Tatooine and hearing, great, I I know you're supposed to be a Jedi, but this woman that I met and I cared about, she's your mother that you cared about. She, She died and you got very upset and very angry. What you did was wrong, of course, but that she can see not just the horror and the violence, but see the pain that he's in and understand why he is in that pain because this woman that she met and respected and tried to help was died under horrible conditions. Uh, and I feel like that scene is about her trying to counsel Anakin when she says, you know, to be angry is to be human. She's trying to tell him it's okay to feel these things. And to me, the implied next step is like, well, but what do we do about them? And we, we focus on him doing the, the big speech, but he breaks down and says, you know, I'm not the Jedi I'm supposed to be and, and I'm going to get better and I'm going to prevent this. You know, like and he's he's saying um, he's not necessarily outright saying that was really bad. I shouldn't have done that. But he is opening up. He's being vulnerable. He's not like I killed him and it was right. If you got a problem with it, get out like he yeah. is opening up and she is trying to help him. Yeah. 
No, I and uh, yeah, I love that. And to me, it does tie to a little bit of her, uh, like I said, that 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 shack look of just like, huh, okay, yeah, I get it. Something's there, and I love it. It's complicated. Yeah. It's complicated. It is like real life romance, obviously. Yeah. Uh, often, many times, many yeah. times. Uh, as we begin to wind down our conversation, uh, you know, I don't want to let the poetry get away from us. Uh, we talked about Empire uh, last week. Uh, this has got a lot of uh, rhythms with uh, Empire Strikes Back. Uh, quick list. Uh, we, we have this theme of mysterious identity of uh, you know, who is Dooku really that uh, appears in Empire Strikes Back as well. Certainly the idea of attachment about the how much of your actions are based on fear of loss. That's in Empire as well. Uh, structurally, we have the main characters split up and go on two separate adventures. We have a star-crossed romance. Uh, we have uh, Fett causing problems in both films, an asteroid chase. Uh, we have uh, actions taken by the heroes because they have the visions of loved ones in pain. Uh, we have a rescue that might cause more harm than good, ultimately, in both of the films. We have a good old Skywalker limb severing. And uh, we have a defeat for the heroes at the end of the film because it is very much portrayed in Attack of the Clones that the creation of the army is a defeat. And we have a final image of two Skywalkers with their droid friends. So um, what do you think about the poetry with Empire? Is it too much? Is it just right? How do you feel about it? No, I'll say it's just right because that's a long list, right? Even some things, uh, oh, the final image of two Skywalkers and a droid. Oh, wow, I've never thought about that till this moment, Joseph. But... I mean, technically, yes, we cut away to the redemption, but it's the last image of the, just, just to be real technical. Yeah, in, in general, save, save your save your tweets, folks. But uh, no, it's it's just right for me because it, it it's it's the second chapter and, you know, Last Jedi has some stuff like similar to as we know. But um, I, I I love it because it's it's all part of this tapestry, but it doesn't read like that beat for beat list you just talked about there, which it's all true, right? It's all true. Even the fat causing a problem. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The visions. Wow. 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 You can keep going on the list, but it never feels the same to me. And it's a great example of the connective threads, connective themes, different story. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to say it. Connective themes and threads and different stories. And it is this story of this, you know, there's a lot of fate and destiny in the Skywalker saga. And we see the Skywalkers of uh, Anakin and uh, Padme from a certain point of view. And then we see the Skywalkers uh, from a certain point of view of Luke and Leia going through similar uh, traumas and similar debates. And the situation in the galaxy is entirely different, but what they're going through is not. And I think that gets to that heart of this idea in Star Wars that these kind of coming of age problems are are things that we're all going to have to wrestle with, uh, but in our own unique way, in our own unique time. Right. All right. We are going to wrap up our conversation. Uh, we often talk about Star Wars being a mix of the new and the old. What new did Attack the Clones bring to Star Wars back in 2002? And I don't mean just like the, the laundry list of, of lore I rattled off, but we talked last week about how, how Empire being the second Star Wars film kind of changed Star Wars forever. What do you think changed because of Attack the Clones in, in what it brought that was new? Yeah, well, I was going to start with so many cool sounds, which is... <laughs> it's legit. Yeah, but so it, it so it brings in some some best of the of the new worlds in Star Wars, and that is kind of a canonist, Camino Geonosis. But what, what that does for me uh, is is it really broadened the galaxy on a level that I hadn't experienced yet. And when you go back and watch it, and and again, this is a kind of in release order, right? Four, five, and six. 
It's a big galaxy. You get the feel, but you got some of the similar planets. You're not on some planets. Um, and not saying the original trilogy is small. It's it's big. It's a big galaxy. Uh, but Phantom Menace comes out. We're back on Tatooine. We're relearning some of the stuff. Well, here comes here comes uh, Attack of the Clones and this Camino world, this beautiful world. What's going on there? Geonosis, which is also they're building ships and they're tied in the Trade Federation. We're even going to spend way more time on Coruscant down to why I like Dexter's Diner. It's the reason you and I both love it. Our pal Obi-Wan gets to go enjoy a flapjack or a sandwich. And that's real to me. And now this galaxy is way bigger. And people always say, uh, sometimes these Skywalker sucks too small. Well, there's only two families in the galaxy. Well, for this story, we're focusing on them. They're at the center. But the galaxy is huge. And that does inspire people to want to hear more of those stories. So we get a lot of that. I think that's really new. I like the continued compilation, uh, excuse me, com- complication of the bad guys. Uh, we know Sidious is bad, but uh, there's a lot of different reasons and not saying there's justifications for this, but it's a it's a exploration of of how we end up going wrong, which is what we were talking about a lot on the political stuff. And this is something that I, I think it really, really allows you to play with going forward. And the final thing for me is full scale Jedi. Yes. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, the full picture. Yeah, I think it, it does a great, great examples. It, it does do a lot of the tip of the iceberg storytelling that I always go on about where you see little bits and pieces of different worlds and you can imagine so much more. I love seeing more of Coruscant and seeing uh, the Outlander Club. Uh, th- this movie gave us Elon Sleazebegano and Death yeah. Sticks and those go forward to make a big difference. Uh, I say that jokingly, but it is one of the tip of the iceberg things of this this film, I think the real government politics was running in the background of the original trilogy because George couldn't show so as much in, in their interviews where he says this. So not only does this film create all these little worlds, all these little moments, all these little characters that are these fun adventures that you can uh, wonder and discover more about later, but it is, it is moving the story of star Wars firmly into, it is about the, whole politics of the galaxy and how those can be affected by individuals and how those can be um how star wars is a story of characters uh functioning within institutions and i think that's certainly hinted at in many places uh, in star wars but attack the clones is where that becomes absolutely concrete the uh, attack of the clones is a story about uh, the kind of the leaders of the galaxy who are making all the choices we have that a little bit in Phantom Menace, but it's the it's still this like here's this little skirmish that does, shouldn't be that big of a deal, and right. yet it is because it has all these ramifications. So we right. get introduced to the players, but Attack of the Clones is where that really widens out, and like here is the state of the galaxy, and here are the key players, the leaders in the galaxy, and this is their world all uh, all spread out and full of details. And I think that to me is the the one of the big things. I think the other thing for me is. Even though Attack of the Clones, I think, has all these deep themes and these ideas that uh, we talk about a lot and we talked about a lot in this episode, I think it is also the film for me that in some way is uh, Star Wars and Lucas saying, we are never going to forget that a part of this is B-movies, that a part of this is pulp adventure and serials um, from everything from some dialogue choices to, hey, we're, we're not just going to be a Western fantasy 
we're throwing other things in. Here's a noir detective story. Here is this uh, gladiator arena scene. Uh, here are these cars racing fast because I, I haven't had a, a scene quite like that. It's There's so much in it that's just down to the title of, hey, did you did you forget that a part of this is, is the idea that we're going to tell these big themes and morality tales, but we're going to do it in the style of an old adventure serial? That's uh, inspired by Flash Gordon. Okay, if you forgot, the title of this film is Attack of the Clones. Right. The most like sci-fi paperback 1950s title that I could think of to remind you that that is a part of what this is. Yeah. <laughs> Just remember the initial reactions to that title back in like uh, 2001 or whatever. Like, what? Yeah. Attack of the Clones. Uh, yes, I was always pumped because I love that stuff. I love the adventure serial and yeah. uh, Attack of the Clones certainly delivers on some attacking clones. Or are they defending a thing that we can discuss at another time? Because we've already been discussing Attack of the Clones for quite a while. So unless you have any other final thoughts, Ken, uh, that for me is a wrap on my thoughts this week on Attack of the Clones. Now, my final thoughts are this, dear listeners. I love that you all love to gather around our, our campfire of Star Wars here. But uh, I think we also also love hearing, hey, you made me think of something different, something new. And uh, let us know. Let us know your relationship to Attack of the Clones now compared to then or even a week ago or even 18 years ago. It's part of the fun we have doing for Center Joseph. That was a wonderful discussion about Attack of the Clones. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I will piggyback quickly uh, that it's great for me as somebody who has the perspective of, you know, growing up with the original trilogy and seeing Attack of the Clones in specific ways. I've heard from a ton of our listeners, speaking of the campfire, Ken, of who grew up with Attack of the Clones and how much it meant to them. And it's, it, I love learning from hearing other people's perspective. And uh, it just, it makes me so happy because I've, even crit with criticisms, I've always loved this movie. It's so thrilling to me when I hear from so many stories from people who grew up with Attack the Clones and this movie means everything to them. And it just makes me really happy. I do enjoy hanging out with them prequel babies. It really, <laughs> really just, uh, just uh, broadens your Star Wars horizons. So thank you there. Uh, and speaking of uh, our listeners and friends out there, we're going to go to audience questions, our uh, Power of the Light Side segment on hold this week as we collect more through our Patreon page. We love hearing those stories from all of you. But to Twitter we go. George Aldrich uh, writes us and says, which character would you most least want to redecorate where you live? Uh, he says, I've spent three days doing my, my room, which is why he's asking. So uh, who'd you, who's your most and who's your least there, Joseph? Oh, man. Uh, least is, uh, I'll say, uh, Darth Sidious, because uh, <laughs> I, I don't think he's going to listen to my opinion at all. I think he's going to be real mean, real mean. I think he's going to uh, insult my interior <laughs> decoration choices. Uh, I have a toss up between most. On one hand, I just kind of want to go with Han because I try to keep things neat. But uh, my, my living area gets a, gets a little uh, disordered. And I feel like Han would be OK with that. Um, mm. My other choice would be, ooh, if I was trying to redecorate, I maybe a force user who could move things around easily. Uh, and I thought of Quinlan Voss, because I think Quinlan Voss would be down with that. I think he'd be like, that's an okay way to use the force. Sure, I'm not going to be uptight about it. Yeah, I'll, I'll move your uh, your uh, bookshelf. I'll build your Ikea bookshelf with the force. Sure. Yeah. 
Those, those are great answers. And we, we, uh, I loved your approach of just kind of the literal like Sidious. Cause I'm like, uh, Sidious has got a pretty sleek office. Yeah. It's got some bad art. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, not saying I'm, uh, I'm on board for Sidious, but it's got a, it's got a good, good color scheme going, but you're right. He might not care about what you want if you're hiring them to do the job. But my, my least, I got to tell you for me is my pal Han Solo. Yeah. I'll, go, I'll go because he, I, I share a little, my office is a little cluttered too. And I think Han's going to be like, looks great. And I'll be like, well, <laughs> I want to do so. No, it looks fine. Looks fine. Uh, so on the flip side of that, this is why I would definitely go to Lando, particularly young. Mm. Look at the sleekness of Bespin. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a clean living there, right? And look at the Falcon. Look at the, look at the, uh, the, the yellow seats and the cushions and all. It, it's sparkling. We love it. I love that place. So I'll go with Lando. Uh, but other ones, I'd be interested again because. I know my nature. I'm like scatterbrained. I'm like, I'm, I'm a little two levels away from hoarder. Grace will tell you, but I'm not, I don't feel I'm there, but I, I just, I love, I have organized piles. All right. Um, so on that uh, line of thought, I'd look at Django fat slash, I guess maybe Tan we, maybe it's because we're looking at like, the clones. Look at their living space. It's small, compact, but two live in there fine. And it's clean. And they've got a nice view of the ocean. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, I like a lot of what's going on in Django's quarters there. And then uh, my final one is because of what she's able to do with a smaller space that's not designed for living, but turns it into something comfortable for her, Ray. Ooh. Uh, I'll take what Ray's got going on, maybe, because I have like my, specific, uh, specifically my studio that I'm right now, it's a smaller space. I got to make do. I bet she'd come here and go, I have some ideas how to make this seem bigger than it is. You know, that's a great answer. And I'm going to amend to add Shmi because, you know, uh, Shmi's yeah. <laughs> uh, slave quarters are, you know, honestly nicer than a lot of apartments I've been in. <laughs> yes. Uh, we got a question here from Big B78. Big B writes, folks on Facebook are arguing about the Mace versus Sheep fight. Oh, those folks on Facebook. Was Mace about to win before Anakin stepped in or was Palpatine losing on purpose to fulfill his plan? All right, Big B, this is a... This has been a debate going for quite some time. We just would celebrate the 15-year anniversary of Revenge of the Sith. So this mm-hmm. been about 15 years. Joseph, this is one of those things that I think doesn't necessarily have a yes or no, right or wrong. So it's fun to discuss. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. And I, I was reminded, I saw some tweets. Uh, it's exploding onto Twitter. The great Mace versus Sheave debate. I was reminded that in the novelization uh, that we talk about a lot, it, that I read many years ago, uh, it is that Sheave is uh, pretending to lose in order to garner Anakin's sympathy. So I guess if you're a fan of the novelization and you want to embrace that answer, you absolutely can. For myself, I think if you just watch the movie, it is totally ambiguous and you can decide what you want to decide for myself. I've always really liked what it says about Mace's character, Palpatine's character and Anakin's character that that's legit. Uh, he was that she was not expecting that boot to the face yeah. and he is in dire trouble and he can plan all he wants, but Mace is the one who is trained to fight back the dark side and he is more ready for it than other Jedi and he could have won. Um, I think that's more interesting from Mace's perspective. I think that's more interesting from Palpatine's perspective, that he's not all-powerful, that if something goes wrong in his plan, he's in trouble. But more than anything, I feel like if Mace really does have one up on Palpatine, then that fateful choice is Anakin's choice. It's not just, yeah, Anakin's being played for uh, pity the second that 
uh, he walks in, then absolutely Palpatine's like, look what he's doing to me. The Jedi want to kill us all. Like, he's definitely playing Anakin. So Anakin is being manipulated. But if the actual reality is, if Anakin didn't intervene, Mace would have cut his head off and that would have been it for the Sith. That's just, I don't want to take that power away from Anakin's choice. Yeah, no, that that's a big moment for me because, yeah, I, and you know, the novelization, that's a great insight because uh, I, I do think it's there. He's play, he's looking, he's doing the, uh, 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 I think in that moment. But it goes back <laughs> to one of my favorite Phantom Menace moments of, of Padme being like, Senator, this is your arena, not mine. I'm heading back home. And and I do believe for a couple seconds, Palpatine's like, wait, whoa, 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 what? But he can spin it around. That's what he's so good at. He is great foresight, plays the long game, but he also can adjust on the fly. And I think there's a part of that, to me that I like here too, that Mace was at least powerful enough to get in this position. It's more than believable. It's probably a real threat. And maybe Palpatine in my mind for my head cannon was okay with that risk. I might lose, but um, I think this is going to work if all these fall into place, because yeah, if, if, if Anakin, you got to be really sure of your choice of what you put into Anakin's head in that moment. Right. I, I guess right. if you a second you could have brought up your hand and done something. He's pretty powerful. I'm not taking anything away from Palpatine's power. But at the end of the day, story-wise, I'm with you. I love that Anakin needed to make that choice. It wasn't that he was manipulated into that choice. That's part of it. But he needs to make it. He needs to commit. Yeah. Yeah. To Patreon we go. Kyler Aldred writes, if you could have an action figure of any of the book characters, which would it be? And which accessory would it come with? That was the real fun part of the question for me. I've got a couple choices. Joseph, what do you got? Uh, you know, I, I could have a couple of choices, but I'm keeping it simple to this one. And I'm just going to a relatively recent uh, addition to the uh, novel canon, who I really like. And that is Rail Avaros, uh, the sloppy Jedi who bends the rules <laughs> in Master and Apprentice, who is uh, depicted as uh, like, yeah, I have sex. It's not an attachment. Don't worry about it. No, I haven't cleaned my robes in a while. Uh, yeah, every once in a while I enjoy a death stick. Why not? I'm. Very intrigued by Rail Avros. I want an action figure of his wrinkly Jedi robe, and I want him to come with a lightsaber and death sticks. Why is uh, Sam Elliott as a Star Wars character? What's going on? <laughs> uh, great choice. That's a great choice. Uh, gosh, I forgot about that character. Oh, man, that's a good one. Uh, I have a couple choices. One, not surprising if you listen to me uh, ramble about Star Wars over the years, Ray Sloan. Give me a Ray Sloan, but I heard mm. three is a pamphlet titled, So You Want to Rebuild the Empire, but for good reasons. <laughs> uh, and then the other one here, more of a recent one too, uh, speaking of, we're talking about Solo and that era, uh, I want Pikba. I want Pikba, who, you know, they've been retconned her to, to appear in Return of the Jedi, but just, you know, she's a novel character to me. Um, and, and the accessory is, one, she has a hacking device, and then second, she has a Chewy autograph that she's very proud of because she did love Chewy. Big fan of Chewy. Oh, that's a great one. Uh, Peekba, Peekba. All right, final one today from Simon Huffnagel. Uh, he writes to, uh, Cheat death is a power only one has achieved, but if we work together, I'm sure we can discover the secret. Palpatine says this in Revenge of the Sith, and it's always been a bit confusing to me. Was the one he referred to Darth Plagueis? Did he somehow know about Qui-Gon surviving in the Force? Also, how do you think this line jives with what we now know in The Rise of Skywalker? It's interesting to see that Palpatine found an answer to immortality through cloning and spirit transfer, though I'm not sure if that's the answer he or Anakin truly wanted. 
Oh yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is why I love. We have these nine chapters now. It could recontextualize some stuff, and that's kind of fun to me. What, what do you think about this uh, question posed by uh, Simon Joseph? Yeah, this is a great, uh, great thoughts, Simon. Uh, here, here are my uh, laundry list of opinions, and they might differ from other people's, and I get that. But for me, I think he is uh, Palpatine is absolutely talking about Plagueis uh, making some strides towards this idea of spirit transfer. Uh, which to me is kind of like a a haunting, right? Of like you have another, you're not willing to let go, you're not willing to go on into the force. Uh, so you clone a body, or maybe it's even like a mask, like we get with Darth Momin in uh, the Vader comic. But I think Plagueis was on to what we eventually uh, learn about in Rise of Skywalker about this sort of spirit transfer. So I think that's what Palpatine is talking about. I don't think it's maybe fully figured out yet. Um, I don't think that. Uh, Palpatine or Vader know anything about Qui-Gon. I think from a Sith perspective, they can't imagine what is necessary for that power. And I think with uh, Obi-Wan saying, you know, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And Mm. and Vader doing like the boot touch of like, where'd he go? Like, I don't think they know. And he goes on to say Obi-Wan can no longer help him and all that. I don't think they know anything Mm -hmm. uh, about that. The thing I really love about it is I think there is a kernel of truth to Plagueis has gone, you know, some amount of steps down the path to discovering how a dark side force user could transfer their spirit Mm -hmm. somewhere else. I don't think he has any idea or any interest whatsoever in saving Padme. I think that's a total manipulation and a big old lie. Mm. Absolutely there. I, I, I'm really aligned with some of the stuff you're thinking here. Yeah, the Qui-Gon stuff, uh, nah, I don't think they know. But the, uh, yeah, I think it's Plagueis, and I love now, and I love this is now the complete picture to me. This is why I do think Episode Nine connects, my friends. It's this idea of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my master figured it out. He didn't quite know what to do. I, I've got control of that now. Um, I still need some more. And even then we learn it's not perfect. It's not being worked on uh, or it still needs to be worked on. And so now it all kind of connects to me um, that the one uh, might even be himself. That Mm. now the complete picture, I think in that moment and in 2005, I took, I definitely took it as as, as Plagueis, but, but I think now that it's like, it's, it's kind of both. It's like, there's only one, there's only one. It was him. I took it from him and it's me. We got to work to get, get it to perfect the science, perfect the art. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. Uh, I think that's a, a great answer to say, maybe it was uh, Plagueis once, but then he took a nap. He shouldn't have. And I killed him and took the secret to cheat death. Oh, what a great scene. Let's just watch it again. All right. Thank you, Simon, uh, Kyler, Big B and George. We appreciate your questions. If you have a question for us, want to join the conversation about this episode, you can do so by following us on Twitter using hashtag Force Center. Like our Facebook page at Force Center Podcast. We are on Instagram and YouTube. Please swing over there. Check out some of our videos, podcasts available in all the different spots that you're listening on now. And if there's one out there to use and can't find us let us know and we can try to get on over there we have merch at tpublic.com slash user slash force center patreon.com slash force centers where we can uh, be supported uh joseph we just got great new theme music from tony thaxton does all of our themes uh, i think across the board now every song everyone well a spotlight's the last one but that's just kind of a part-time show now so we'll see but that's all made possible by all of you at patreon and then we got our own stuff joseph where can they follow you 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. And you can check out all my other various adventures, uh, comedy albums, and my other podcast, Obsessed. All that stuff is on my website at josephscrimshaw.com. Follow me at Cadnapsock for all of my wonderful, silly adventures this weekend. I'll be uh, virtually hosting a panel for Mainframe Comic Con. Check that out. More information on my tweets. Worth coming. All right. That's it. I'm going to actually go put some Attack of the Clones on and rewatch it again. Uh, this is what we do here. And this was Force Center. We'll see you next time. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.